Is this love, Agent Romanov? Love is for children. I owe him a debt. Tell me. Before I worked for S.H.I.E.L.D., I, uh... Well, I made a name for myself. I have a very specific skill set. I didn't care who I used it for. Or on. I got on S.H.I.E.L.D.'s radar in a bad way. Agent Barton was sent to kill me. He made a different call. And what will you do if I vow to spare him? Not let you out. Oh, no, but I like this. Your world in the balance, and you bargained for one man. Regimes fall every day. I tend not to weep over that. I'm Russian. Where I was. And what are you now? It's really not that complicated. I got red in my ledger. I'd like to wipe it out. Can you? Can you wipe out that much red? Drakov's daughter? Sao Paulo? The hospital fire? Barton told me everything. Your ledger is dripping. It's gushing red, and you think saving a man no more virtuous than yourself will change anything? This is the basest sentimentality. This is a child at prayer. You lie and kill in the service of liars and killers. You pretend to be separate, to have your own code, something that makes up for the horrors. But they are part of you, and they will never go away. I won't touch Barton, not until I make him kill you, slowly. Intimately, in every way he knows you fear. And then he'll wake just long enough to see his good work. And when he screams, I'll split his skull. This is my bargain, you mewling quim. You're a monster. Welcome back to the Film 89 Podcast. This is episode 68, and I'm Sky. Hi, I'm Neil, number two of three 40-year-old men who are going to moan about comic book properties, and joining us is... Richard Roberts. Hello, good evening, and welcome. And if the three of us are together, then you know there's a 50-50 chance that we're going to be talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And tonight, we've got a Marvel double bill of both film and TV goodness in the form of Marvel's latest show for Disney+, Plus, Loki, and their much-delayed latest cinematic offering, Black Widow, finally getting her own big-screen solo outing. So, gents, uh, we're back again talking about comic book franchises we're going to talk about, obviously, Loki, six-episode Disney Plus series, which had a season finale uh, this Wednesday past. And then we're going to be talking about Black Widow. Please, guys and girls, if you haven't seen either of them, turn us off, go and watch them, then come back and listen to us, because we're not going to be um, skirting around to you know, any, any story points. We are going to be going full spoiler-filled. So, guys, let's start with Loki. 
and I think going back a few months to when we saw the first trailers for this show, uh, I think we were quite upbeat about it, given the fact that, you know, I think all three of us love the way Loki's been portrayed in the Marvel Cinematic Universe film so far. Is that right? Yeah, I agree with that, definitely. Completely agree with that. I say, with the previous sort of Disney Plus Marvel outings we've had, I think it's fair to say with both WandaVision and Fog of the Winter Soldier, we've all collectively relatively enjoyed them, but we've all had minor sort of faults we've picked up along the way. I know with both of those series, they come into the flack elsewhere, but I would say with both of those sort of limited series, we've, we've... We've all collectively enjoyed them to a certain degree. We've had little sort of nitpicks about things we didn't like, but on the whole, we were quite sort of interested to see those. But like you say, with Loki, you know, I've got the record now. I'm not particularly excited about any Disney Plus Marvel stuff that's coming after. You know, I said before this began, I said to you guys, I think this might be the last good MCU Disney Plus show. You know, I'm unsure about the others, but this one, I'm I'm sure this is going to be good. It, it, I think, with, with Loki having been such a pivotal part of the films that have come before, you know, with the first few series that were announced, I thought that Loki was the, the most surefire movie-equivalent series you were getting. It seemed like the biggest coup. You know, we've had this massively popular character who has run his course in the films. He's had a proper arc. He's died. Then to, to have a direct spin-off from Endgame with, with Loki and then to, taking Loki off, Tom Hiddleston as a uh, as an actor is going from strength to strength. And it seemed like, I think anyway, a, a major coup then to be actually this character you would imagine would have been his springboard to stardom, much like popular seven-season TV runs of things. Actors then want to shed that and move on to other things. And Tom Hiddleston pretty much, you know, although he's been playing the character for 10 years, really, he's, he's in the early stages of career, really. It, it just seemed to me that it was a, it was a, a big, unexpected coup to get him back for a series. And of all the ones that were announced, certainly the first phase of them, I thought, well, they must have a story to tell with him. That's probably the one that is the safest bet for quality and the safest bet for story, because it would have to be good to get him back. It would have to be good to risk sullying his his, his ending. I, th- I think you're right with that, Rich. i got, I got to be honest, mate, because like you say, the sort of major thing with the two sort of preceding series is that these are sort of like B-level characters, really. I mean, I know... Ironically, the whole MCU was set up with B-level characters, but they all became A-level characters as a result of the MCU. But like, when you look at like sort of uh, Falcon, Bucky, uh, WandaVision, they're very sort of like B-level characters, aren't they? And although Loki isn't the sort of one of the big three, he was kind of a B-plus kind of character, if I insist, if that category exists, wasn't he? Like you say, you look at the amount of films he'd been in, I actually thought with Infinity War, he'd be given a little bit of short shrift. I mean, that was one of the things I said when we did the review was it just seemed a bit like, oh, Loki wouldn't have just gone out like that against Thanos. You know, it was quite obvious the way he sort of tried to stab him and stuff mm. like that. And then I was like, oh, do you know what? I kind of like that. He sort of had his redemption arc and perhaps he sort of almost sacrificed himself for Thor. And then when we had that sort of little twist in Endgame, I was like, oh, this is brilliant. You know, we get a chance to see him again somewhere down the line. And like you say, to then find out this Disney Plus series is going to happen and seeing the initial trailers. I love Tom Hiddleston in this role. And then seeing the trailers and what I presumed this series was going to be, I thought this is going to be absolutely golden. Yeah, and I, yeah. look, we, we all love Loki and Tom Hiddleston's portrayal of me. If you follow the character of Loki from you know that first Thor film through to Avengers and, 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 and through Thor The Dark World and onwards... And, and if you just take his story in isolation, it's one of the best villain portrayals that we've seen 
you know, I think in any franchise. And the fact that we saw him yeah. be a complete bastard and constantly backstab and then slowly get his redemption and then kind of have you know, a kind of a martyr's sort of death in Infinity War. But then we got our cake and we got to eat it because we also had a continuation of him where we saw him redeemed, but yet we had more of that evil, you know, narcissistic, you know, power mad Loki from 2012 branching off into his own story being this series and yeah you know like you guys my expectations were high and going into this i thought yeah there's potential for this to be the strongest of the three disney plus marvel series we've had so far he was you say you know about him being a b plus uh, b plus character he was the only real character that stole the scene whatever scenes he was in yeah in in a universe of breakout stars because let's face it being the platform for for making for making uh, stars hasn't it yeah, he was—he's the breakout star in him within the universe, isn't he? And people forget that you know during the early days of of, of the MCU, Phase One and Phase Two, Marvel were heavily criticised regularly for their um, poor villains or their you know two-dimensional villains. Well, it, you know from Thor onwards, Loki was the background main villain into the first Avengers film was the main villain, and yeah. you know that sort of often gets overlooked. And mm. you know he then went on beyond that, and his his journey has been as important as any other character throughout the series of films. And yeah, if you look then at the impact this had on Tom Hiddleston's career, you know, after 2011 and 2012 with Thor and then the Avengers, you know, in 2015 he did um, High Rise for, for Ben Wheatley, he did Crimson Peak where he, you know he was a lead role in the Guillermo del Toro film. 2017 he was leading Kong Skull Island. Then yeah. that same year, you know, he, he came back with Thor Ragnarok, where you could argue he, he almost had like a, a co-star role in that film, and you know his star has kind of been on the ascension. And now, and not the to, night not, manager. I was going to say not to, not to forget the night manager because I know speaking from a British point of view, we all watch that on BBC, but that was shown internationally as well. I think it was HBO Max. Uh, yeah, HBO that Max, was that was twenty sixteen, wasn't it? Picked that up in America, yeah. and people were talking about him being the next Bond. Yeah, yeah, God, yeah, that was a huge boost to his career. And it's it's easy to it's easy to forget as well. I mean, this is a guy who you know screen tested for the actual lead role of Thor. He did, yeah. I was never going to get the part. I mean, he just hasn't got the physicality to be Thor. Let's no, no. But as Loki, like you say. He has probably got as good a character arc as the big three. Mm. If you look at Thor, Cap, and Stark, we've sort of seen for the last sort of decade their story arc has gone through various twists and turns. I mean, if you look at Thor in the initial film and then look at Thor that we've got now, take out Fat Thor, I know people have got problems with that. But if you look at sort of Ragnarok Thor and the Thor that we've got now, and again, similarly, if you look at Stark's sort of journey and his end, his end game, I would say that Loki has got as good a story arc as any one of those big three. I agree. Fully agree, Neil. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. So our expectations were high. They were high. All right, then, guys. Before we go for the meat of it, go into the end of it now, having seen all six episodes, have those expectations been fulfilled? No. Definitely not. I had such high expectations for this series. Seeing that, sort of, uh, the two trailers they released... I thought this is going to be a little bit Doctor Who-ish. I'm a massive Doctor Who fan. Well, I, I strike that. I used to be a massive Doctor Who fan. I used to love Quantum Leap as well. I've you know referenced that as uh, you know a property I'd like to see turned into a film series and stuff like that. And I thought you have got literally the best of both worlds here. You have got a time traveling Loki each week. This is going to be Loki jumping into a different timeline, having to complete some sort of secret mission, maybe going up against himself every now and then. Oh, look at that. we got President Loki. we got some sort of Loki pretending to be D.B. Cooper. 
I thought this yeah. is golden. Because the thing is, you can't take the character of Loki any further in the MCU. Yeah, if we're looking at it as a cinematic series, he's kind of run his course. I, no doubt at some stage you could bring the character back, but right now you can't really use that character again. I agree, Neil, in the same way as Cap and Tony Stark have, have been taken to their best conclusion. Yeah, so yeah. To, give, to give him this sort of little spin-off series where it's totally removed from the events of the MCU, it's totally removed from the sort of consequences of subsequent MCU properties, yeah. and then give him his own little space to shine, and then put it in some sort of like, almost like you say, like a sort of weekly format where we can all sort of enjoy another fun adventure with Loki. And sometimes, you know, sometimes he's good and sometimes he's bad and sometimes sometimes he has to make the right decision and sometimes he's the only person who's strong enough to make the wrong decision. To me, that's going to be like a fantastic series to watch. Unfortunately, yeah. that's not what we got. <laughs> yeah, but Neil, Neil, the trailers, right? The trailers that we were fed completely led us down that path of expectation that that's what we were going to get. So as we, as we talk now, as we go on, it's going to become more apparent. There were several times watching these six episodes where I was like, literally... Oh, that was a bit excited me. That was ten seconds yeah. of an episode, sure. and you put that you put that in a trailer. The trailers look great, but I can't help but feel a little bit cheated here because, mm. like I say, my expectations are my expectations, and that's fine. No one's responsible for them, bar me. But the things they put in that trailer to feed my expectations weren't given to us whatsoever. Going into it, the idea that I had was very, very much that. But it was this thing of, we've seen Loki, the god of mischief, Travis Ark to sacrifice himself and, and be this. And this was an opportunity to, to say to the audience, remember Loki when he, was, when he was really naughty and he was funny? He would, you know, stab everyone in the back. We're going to spend a bit of time with him. It's not, con- there's no, there's no um, ramifications for the MCU large. It's a fun few hours with Loki being a bit of a dick, being a bit of a, you know, being a bit of a player. All this it's sort gonna, of stuff. It's gonna be a romp, and isn't it? It's yeah. gonna be a romp, and he's gonna say things that you that, that you can't believe he's saying. He's gonna do things you can't believe he's doing, and it's gonna be good fun because Loki is good fun. As you say, the trailers, everything that we sort of expected, and that because nobody is looking at Loki after what's happened over the ten years up to uh, Endgame and thinking to themselves, we didn't see enough of him, or his, his story wasn't told well enough, or it was it was given short shrift. We need to revisit him. Because that was the that was the issue again. We were going back to Loki from 2012, and Mo- Mobius. You know, we will get into it, but they very very they made it a point of bringing him up to date, so that technically it is our you know it's not it isn't our Loki the person, but he's now aware of all the experiences. He's seen his mother die, all this sort of stuff. So he's kind of in the same sort of headspace our as the original Loki was. So now we're going to do stuff with him. That was the first kind of rug pull for me, where I thought. This isn't going to be what we thought it was. Conversely, Rich, when they sort of did that little thing where they sort of showed him, this is your life, and it was sort of done in 20 seconds, and he sort of like looked away and sort of had a little think about it. I thought, oh, that's quite well handled, that is. It's sort of bringing him up to date straight away. It's almost like sort of giving us... I thought we're going to have a mix of Loki God of Mischief and Loki Endgame. Oh, sorry, Infinity War. And I was like, oh, right, okay, yeah, okay, I can see what they're doing there. We've got to give him some sort of morality because otherwise he's just going to be a complete twat for the six episodes, you know? (laughs) And I was like, okay, I see what you're doing there. That's kind of of clever. Okay, that's kind of cool. But again, well, I'm talking about a Loki series. I don't know if I watched a Loki series, to be honest. I think I watched a series with Loki in it. 
And the mm. Loki that was in it is neither of the two Lokis I'm referencing. Oh, Neil, that's, that's yeah. perfect because that's right. Overall, having now come to the end of it, he doesn't feel like any of the Lokis we've had. The absolute bastard who was desperate for power up until the point of Avengers. And then the redeemed Loki, who you still don't know if you can trust him. But anyway, and he still got that edge to him, even when ultimately you know that he has turned a corner and is ultimately now you know, wanting the kind of approval of his brother and, and he's no longer kind of grabbing for power. And I think that's what we've lost with him. We've, we've completely taken this character and, and sort of smoothed off all those sharp edges. And, and the things that we loved about him, we've no longer got. Like you say, Neil, it's a show with Loki in it. It's not a show about Loki and it's they haven't given us the Loki that we, we you know, that, that we're accustomed to or a sort of, as you want to say, variant of any sort of Loki that we've had from Tom Hiddleston so far. This seems to me like an entirely different thing, an entirely different thing in terms of tone, and my mind keeps going back to Doctor Who. It seems like something that is... It's just got no teeth, basically. It's not even good Doctor Who, to be honest. I mean, like like I say, listen, I could do a whole episode on what's wrong with Doctor Who right now, but it would make me very popular. And I'll be honest, enough people have already said it, so I don't need to. Yeah. But there's something very muted about all this, and I don't understand why they've done it. Yeah, but Neil, right. There's also some other disparity we've got to address, because clearly the three of us are not impressed with the show. It's not lived up to our expectations. As much as, you know, usually we'd wait to the latter part of our discussion about it to give our sort of damning verdict on it. We're just not that impressed at all. In fact, we're very disappointed. But... On IMDb, this show is currently scoring 8.7 out of 10. So this clearly is appealing to someone. I I don't know who, to be honest. I don't know who this is appealing to. Guys and girls listening to this now, if you're a a proponent of this show, if if you love Loki and we are missing something, please hit us up on social media, drop us an email at admin at film89.co.uk. Just let us know what we are missing because you've heard us talk hours and hours about the the Marvel Cinematic Universe and what we love about it and you you've seen us lavish praise on the films and to an extent that you know the previous two TV shows again with quite a bit of criticism here and there interesting to know what was your view on it after episode 1 can you remember how you felt about it after episode 1 Episode one, I was kind of like, okay, they're taking this slow. They've only got six episodes. There was already rumours of a season two. And I thought, with a sort of setup of what I think this programme is going to be, I was like, okay, yeah, this could go on forever. It doesn't need to be a self-contained thing like, like WandaVision was. It doesn't need to be a contained thing. And the first episode, I was like, it's not knocking it out of the park, but this might be a bit of a slow burn. I will be honest, it's the best thing I've ever seen Owen Wilson in. And I'm including oh. Royal Tenenbaums in that. Right, Neil, <laughs> Neil, who, Neil, who is my most, um, who, who is my kryptonite of actors? <laughs> I want to say Owen Wilson, to be honest. But it no. is, it is Owen Wilson. <laughs> I, 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 wow. I, I, wow. I, yeah, I, I love the Royal Tenenbaums, but I cannot, I physically cannot tolerate Owen Wilson. There's something about the way he talks, about the inflections in his voice when he, and he's, he's always fucking whispering. And you know, I hate whispering on film. And I when when when, when 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 Neil, when you and me and Bill Scurry and and Moose Matson, John Arminio and and the others were talking about this show on one of our chat groups, you know that I laid out my absolute hatred of Owen Wilson, and yeah. I said if this show can make me tolerate Owen Wilson, then it's doing something right. 
And do you know what? One of the things that I've actually liked most about this show is Owen Wilson. He has bothered me less than he has in any other film sort of thing he's been in. I actually found his character one of the more likeable and he was someone I didn't have a problem with. So from that point of view, it did better than I ever expected it to. Yeah. I was I was trying to work out with like I say when I was I was like, wow, well, I was just say, Wow, I'm really enjoying Owen Wilson. <laughs> 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 Gonna do it all night, guys. Yeah. Even when we get to Black Widow. <laughs> I was thinking, am I enjoying Owen Wilson or is it just that I'm impressed that Owen Wilson isn't annoying me? I like Gotta be honest, I think no. I was enjoying. I was enjoying Owen Wilson. I'll set my table out there. You know that's fine. It was. It was. It was a dialed back from that. Yeah, I think I was enjoying his performance, and I was kind of liking his character. The fact that he did end up being one of the good guys and was converted and kind of snapped out of this sort of thing that they've all been under this spell and this you know this sort of con they've been sold. I liked him. I really did. It was just you know I don't think you know, there were characters in the show that did absolutely nothing for me. But I just think overall for me, it's the premise, it's the setup, it's the fact that all of this stuff that we're told about this timeline and one timeline being controlled by one being is just completely goes against a lot of the stuff we've been led to believe is the the sort of makeup of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And as we're going to be going into, we think, in subsequent films now, the next Spider-Man film and Doctor Strange 2 is the multiverse. That's confirmed, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. This this show is gonna have a major impact on both those films. Yes. But I think WandaVision is has potentially set up how we end up going into the multiverse because she is is affecting reality. She is breaking out of her own reality due to the nature of her powers. We've got any other number of things which have already been set in place which could lead to this breach of the multiverse. The fact that they're giving us something else now and something that's potentially contradictory to the very tightly woven story structure that Marvel has put in place so far, which this is one of the things we love best about the MCU, isn't it? You know that. But we gotta be we gotta be fair there. I mean, like literally, you, you imagine now if we were looking at the original MCU as being this stage. See, you know, Neil, you're already saying the original MCU. You're already making a distinction, yeah. No, but what I'm, what I'm saying to you. Yeah, but for me, the MCU comes to a very definitive end with Endgame. Yeah, and it's yeah. where you go. It's where you go from there. So if we roll reversed it, and if whatever's going to happen came first, mm-hmm. if I then said to you, a big purple dude is going to go around collecting jewelry to put into a big metal glove, you go, oh, that sounds a bit daft. So you know, it might it might pay off down the line. But what I would say is, say jumping way ahead now to the end episode, I was like, okay, do you know, season two might actually be good if they take away a lot of the things that we're going to naturally talk about now and get back to what I think they're going to do, what they should have done with it, it might actually be good. Mm. But the difference is, you know when the big purple dude was trying to collect little jewels to put in his gold glove? I had films like Iron Man. I had three I had three Iron Man films, in fact. I had two Thor films. I had three Captain America films, which made no difference at all to the big purple dude collecting gems to put in his, purple, put in his gold glove. Yeah. You know, I had self-contained stories. Yeah. I had interesting characters. I had action sequences. I had, you know, driven stories. You did, yeah. Now, what I've got is a lot of people moping around, sitting around tables and a shitload of exposition. Oh, yeah, and a load of exposition that doesn't lead to anything. And, you know, if you can have a lot of exposition, a lot of character beats in a show like this, you've got to balance it. Loads of people are knocking the sort of slow pace of this, and I completely understand that. 
when you look at the TVA, it looks bland, it looks neutral, it looks this, it looks that. It looks Quebec esque. Let's be honest. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, the, God, yeah. There's, there's several, there's several shots there. Well, uh, well, the set design. I was like, well, that could just be the Overlook Hotel, or it could be, yeah. you yeah. know, two thousand, two thousand and one. It looks fucking great. And do you know what, Neil? When I was watching the first couple of episodes, I was actually thinking a lot of people are not going to be appreciating the production design in this show because I think they're going to be bogged down with the fact that the story is taking too long to get anywhere. If you're going to put something, if you look at like, like say, if you're looking at the Overlook Hotel. Yeah, yeah, and you've got that sort of like distinctive orange and brown carpet. Yeah. You wouldn't want that in your house. <laughs> yeah? No, no, you, you wouldn't. wouldn't. It's, yeah, right? it's horrible. But it looks fucking great there. Because oh, God, you've got yeah. Because so, you've got so much tension and action yeah. set in such a drab setting. Yeah. So when you set something, I was saying the TV, yeah, it was like, wow, this looks great. Yeah. This looks amazing. Yeah. But the dialogue shouldn't reflect the, the set design. Yeah, exactly. And yes. when, you've got bland, when you've got bland and very down, you know, presented to you visually, you've got to pull the viewer in and you've got to give him something that takes him away from, to contrast that. The first, two, well, I'm going to say the first two episodes, because when we get out to episode three, I'm really going to let loose. The, the first two episodes, I'm sat there just going, okay, this looks really sort of like, office space-esque if you like very sort of boring and dowdy and everyone's downbeat and everyone's gonna clip on side so you need to give me something outside of that to take me out of it it was almost like everything was acquiescing to that it was like everything was just dull and yeah. neutral and brown and I, beige and boring it's, sorry it's what it did <laughs> no 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 you're right you're right and what it did for me and i said this and this is one of the reasons why i said about what were your feelings after the first episode because I've gone on record on this podcast many times before and said that I will watch, you know, I will happily watch anything Marvel, spending more time with these characters, you know, and I did say at the time, I think the last one we, the, the, the last one we did, I think I said I may, you know, learn to uh, eat my words. Well, you know, I'm, I'm chowing down on my words now because that, for me, from the end of that first episode, okay, you know, I think I said a couple of episodes into you guys, you know, maybe I'm falling into the trap of of accepting what I'm seeing on the screen when nothing is no, nothing is how you see it with Marvel. There's always a bigger plan, and there's always you shouldn't take you shouldn't take things on face value. So I think I got sucked into that. But what I didn't like, what really took me out of it was we've just had 10, 11 years of this huge, impressive saga that we have talked about for hours and hours and hours on end, and you know we've watched the films over and over, and all of the character beats and all of the 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 death and the progression and all the rest of it that's happened with these characters that's built up to infinity war and the and 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 how we felt at the end of infinity war when thanos clicked and characters were disappearing and five years later they found a way to sort it out using the multiverse which will come on to using time travel rather which will come on to explanations of the multiverse etc and how that feeling at the end of Endgame when everyone started coming back of our generation, of sorry, of, of this generation, that was the, like the end of, 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 of Return of the Jedi. It was one of those experiences that you had to be there to really, yeah. to really get it. It was, it was amazing. And this, this just said to me, well, hang on. If there's an agency of suits in beige offices, I don't care where they are in the universe, but the point is we're now being sold that nothing can everything can be undone nothing matters because if they decide for whatever reason that that isn't the path that time should have taken they can just click they can not click the fingers they can just do what they need to do travel back and course correct and change yeah. it so actually yeah. if somewhere down the line they decide no no do you know what whatever reason some some heavy exposition sort of sequence decides that 
Tony Stark shouldn't have died uh, in in killing Thanos. Oh, well, the TVA agent, they can just go back and they can just sort it out. It takes away the peril of it. And I had a conversation with someone on Twitter about it. The point was made to me, well, the peril argument in in comic book films and superhero films particularly is a, is a hard one to sell because you never go into a, you know, you wouldn't go into a superhero film and actually think that the superhero is going to die in, in, you know, in those early battles and all the rest of it. Um, so you don't have the peril. It's a, the peril comes from whether or not the superhero will save the other person or save that bus that's about to fall off the bridge or will he get there in time? Will, it, will something happen which will prevent him from a, being able to do what he does or what she does as a superhero? Yeah, I kind of agree with you on that, but I kind I of agree with you on that, but I would say with Endgame, that was, well, if you look at Infinity War, like I said, to me, that's that's the Empire Strikes Back of superhero movies, where you end when no one can do it. And like you say, if you look at the end of End Endgame, we definitely lose Tony Stark. Yeah. We lose Cap by default. I mean, if you brought Cap back, we'll probably come back to that later. If you brought Cap back, you know, with like some... Like I don't know, like 1960s cap or you know 1970s or 80s cap. I could accept a movie with that, but for me, as much as because for me, Iron Man, Tony Stark is the main man there in that in that film. I don't ever want to see Iron Man again. Yeah, because that makes is, that I... makes his sacrifice real. And to go back to what you were saying with the sort of the sort of first episode or two episodes where you're thinking, well, the Infinity Stones are just basically paperweights, so we can do this, and, and it just cheapens. And everything just cheapens it. Yeah. I was thinking, I'm getting annoyed by this, but they want me to be annoyed by this because later on yeah. it's going to pay off. That's not true. I was never really given that. But I, but I go just just to finish off my point there. Where I came back with that was that I get that I get that the the peril doesn't really exist in a film, but in a saga, in something which goes on for ten years, the peril came from this. This was someone who could actually kill them and could kill them dead, not kill them for a couple of films and they come back. You know, so so there is you you've you've seen Iron Man being a hero. You've seen Iron Man's personal journey. You've watched his whole process. Likewise with Loki. Likewise with Captain America. You've watched the whole journeys. And in those individual films, you weren't concerned that they may die or they may not live to the next one. But the whole thing of 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 this culmination in the end of the Infinity Saga was they were up against someone who it could result in them losing their lives. And and yeah. and so what you've got is for, for that for that. 10-year investment for there to be this team of suits who were governed by the fucking time lords by another name just made it was just like this this just cheapens everything it just it, it you know i i love doctor who again i'm not so fond of it anymore but i love Doctor. but it, and if we were watching doctor who with the established rules of that universe i wouldn't have an issue with it but we have got an established universe with established rules, and we know what we're getting, and we know where we're going with things. Well, now, they're bringing time travel in, which which we you know which, which they did in Endgame, and we were all really really there was massive trepidation from all of us in accepting that. You know, me and Sky, we did like a four hour episode on Back to the Future trilogy last year. You've, you know, we've got as a team, we've done Terminator episodes and all the rest of it. You know, as a collective, we really genuinely enjoy films that feature time travel. But that yeah, doesn't but mean that we wouldn't set... see time travel in every in every franchise. Yeah, it's got to be done correctly. And we really, we all agreed how much we accepted and liked the way that time travel was explained and used and how... Right, uh, so you're hitting the nail on the head there because how was it explained and how it was used? And if you look at everything with time travel, where we go back to, I don't know, 
again, if you look at the sort of Russell T, uh, T. Davis sort of rebirth of Doctor Who, instantly they set up a thing where, okay, there's fixed points in time where you can change things. Because that was the one thing you could always say about Doctor Who. Well, he'd just go back and solve it. You know, you could just go back in time and no matter what happened, he'd just go back in the TARDIS and solve it anyway. And then that's why I liked about Russell T. Davis, Doctor Who, was you had these fixed points in time where the Doctor said, there's nothing I can do here. That, that person has to die or that planet has to explode because I can change. It's a fixed point in time. Like you see, the way they explain time travel, I mean, with old uh, War Machine with Rhodey, like, let's go back and kill Hitler and we'll just... You know, no, we can't do that. You know, it's, it's a branch of reality. It's, it's not your type. And the way they explain it, it was great. This just seemed to be just flying in the face of what we'd already seen. Well, guys, you've already both said, right? Neil, you said about the fact that the thing with the Infinity Stones, yeah? Rich, you say oh, about an God. established universe with established rules. Let's look at the Infinity Stones. They took eight years establishing those as the most kind of powerful things in the universe. That when you get them all together... And if you're able to control their power, you can change reality. You can you can literally change the universe drastically. And yet, in this show, we see two office bods saying, oh, yeah, yeah, their, their powers don't exist here. They're basically paperweights. And if you're going to do that, you're either going to be going down one of two paths. You're either going to be so clever that the payoff as to why you've set that up is going to be genius, or you are literally yeah. flying in the face of everything that's been established and you are showing nothing but contempt for the stuff that other people yeah, have simple. taken a damn good effort in establishing as, like you say, Rich, the established rules within the established universe. And for me in this first season, for all of us, that ballsiness has not gone down the path of a suitable payoff. It's gone down the path of, no, actually, you're just shitting on everything that's been established within the MCU. And it seems to me as if this whole show has been made by someone who has not got a sufficient grasp of what the MCU is and what the established law yeah. is. Because as soon as you start to act outside of an established law, you're basically saying, well, effectively, this is all fantasy anyway, so we can write what we want. Yeah, that is the path yeah. to lazy writing. That is something that we have endlessly gone on about on this podcast, is lazy writing. If in any universe you're going to take time to establish the parameters as to what is and isn't possible, you operate within that, and then what it does is it gives that fantastical kind of story a sense of reality because as much as the reality itself might be far-fetched you know space travel and stuff like that is something that we as human beings now are not capable of we're not capable to, to go to different planets it's just simply beyond our capability but if you're establishing a story where certain things like that are capable where one man is able to make you know nanotechnology robot suits like tony stark is you're going to keep it all within a confined reality otherwise you may as well just say, oh, look, you know, this is just utter nonsense and we're making it up as we go yeah. along. And to me, it seems as if we've broken out of that established reality and it's dodgy ground. And I think it, unless they've got a grand plan, which I'm not seeing much evidence of at the moment, I do think that we are starting to see the wonderful temple that's being created is starting to crumble and fall apart. I was expecting with those Infinity Stones that it was mind games for Loki. I honestly thought that it was a yes. case of you, you're the, the thing that you, that this is, you know, in, in a very simple sequence, they're, they are, they're basically screwing with his head. And that's the payoff that I expected was that, you know, they, they, it wasn't actually the, the Infinity Stones, but, but in order to turn Loki's world on its head, and and to kind of suck him in and put him completely off kilter. This is so out, outside the realms of anything you've got experience with and anything you think that you can control. 
everything you know about life and universe is just being completely set on fire but we never had that payoff we never had it was no. it was they, they were an easter egg they weren't relevant it's it, in actual fact what they've done is as we as you've just explained is actually they've created more disdain rather yeah. than it being any, any any credible payoff with it it, it didn't need to be there there was a one bit where they, i think it was yeah it was the end of episode three that well, they just basically just did a whole sort of well, a, ba- a bad Doctor Who episode just so just so Loki could say that he was bisexual. So Neil, all right. So episodes one and two, like we said, with the with the setup of the TVA, the fact that they've been put in place to maintain this one perfect timeline after this timeline war, if you want to call it that. What I was going to say, what I was going to say was the end of episode three. As much as I re, and that was for me, this is the the real down moment of this season. The building fell, and Loki stopped the building from falling. Yeah, and I thought, I thought, oh wow, he's grabbed one of those Infinity Stones. He's grabbed the Time Stone, and it really does work. I thought he'd stop time, stop that building falling, and I was like, okay, I'm going to stop being hard on this because this is going to pay off now. And there was just no explanation ever given for that, and I was like, this isn't going to, this isn't going to go well for no. me now from this no. point on. I've watched, I've watched his dire episode, and this little one bit at the end, I've gone, ah, right, okay. And I was like keeping it to myself, not telling you guys about it, going, this is going to be, he's used the time stone now to stop that from that building from hitting him and Sylvie. This is going to start paying off now that these stones do mean something. And I was mm. like, no, nah, they're just never going to reference them ever again, are they? <laughs> no, that's yeah. it. So the first two episodes are set up with the TVA, the fact that they're going after this, this variant, which... Uh, no surprise to us guys that it turned out to be female Loki. I think we called it well in advance. Yeah, you know we we've had the banal mundanity of this kind of office based first two episodes, which as much as we appreciate the the, the production design, we felt it was going to lead to something bigger and more epic. Then in the third episode, when we finally find out that it's female Loki, and then they go on a little. It was the third episode they went to the planet that was being destroyed. Is that right? That was yeah. The second episode was um, him sort of coming into contact with her, and the third episode was him going to that planet that was being destroyed. And yeah, because they were when they were on the train, wasn't it? They were on the train. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. You know, it, was, it took us out of the TVA and it gave us what should have been really a pretty sort of epic setting. And it looks like that is the episode that cost the most. It's the one with the most special effects, and somehow, unbelievably, I think we're all agreed, it ended up being one of the low points of this six-episode season. It is the low point of the season, mm. without a shadow of a doubt. It is basically a whole 43 minutes or whatever it was of Sylvie being better than Loki at everything. Mm-hmm. Loki just being totally emasculated and totally sort of like, basically just being led around like a puppy. Not in any way resembling anything that that character is at any stage during the MCU. You, you know, I can look at Loki from the original Thor from the Avengers all the way onwards. There is no way that Loki is being led around by someone else. Instantly, he would be looking to scheme. He would be looking to get one up on this person. Yeah. That was one of the things I did like about the second, uh, the first and second episode. Every time they referred to the sort of variant Loki, he went, you mean the inferior Loki? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, because that, that is Loki. That is without yeah. a shadow of a doubt. It doesn't matter if you put a hundred Lokis in the room, every one of them is going to think that they are far superior to the other 99. Yeah. That is the character. That, you know, I, there's no escape. By this episode, I was thinking, oh, it's going to be a Loki love story. We're watching oh, yeah. them fall in oh, love. God. And I thought, oh, for Christ's sake, it's, you know, what is this? Is it incest or is it masturbation? I don't know which one of those it is. <laughs> <laughs> Look, guys, 
without doing an episode by episode analysis, because we are, oh, you know, we've got to remember yeah. we've got we've got a whole Marvel film, a feature film to cram also into this episode. When we take this series now to its ultimate conclusion, and you and I, Neil and, and Rich, we were the, you know the three of us were talking, you know, along with our friend Jim Cottle about the fact that we thought this was going to be leading somewhere big to some big grandstanding, you know, final episode or two where everything was going to be wrapped up nicely and it, it was there was going to be a suitable payoff. But then let's jump ahead then to those final two episodes. You had the one where Loki in, I think, episode four, he gets zapped with that stick and it looks like he's killed. And then if you watch the, the post-credits thing, you find out that he's actually somewhere else with a load of other Loki variants. And then in episode five, we've got them on that, you know, they, they call it the void and like that whole episode we're, we're supposed to be given these sort of escher-esque sort of crazy images and, and and it's all supposed to be quite you know apocalyptic and i just found it a complete and absolute slog you know the, the whole thing was just completely uninteresting visually and in terms of the storytelling it's a crew it's a coup getting richard e grant you know in mm. loki it's really the old loki but it just felt like once you sort of got over seeing him as old Loki, half looking like Kermit the Frog. That was the end of it. I, I, I sort of, I cared for a moment. It, it didn't suck me in. I didn't care when all all, the, all that we were finding out with Kid Loki and all the rest of it. I just, by that point, I just realised I'm just not interested. I'm just not, I'm just not grabbed by this at all. That You know, you've got this, and that episode for me, when, you know, you, you, you when he first lands there and there's, you know, this is the episode that's apparently littered with all these Easter eggs. There's the Thanos copter and all this sort of stuff. And and where we talked before about who is this appealing to, um, you know, you were saying about, you know, are we, are we missing something because other people seem to really like it and the reviews are getting. We're, on watching this episode, I thought it feels to me as though the people that they're aiming this at are the hardcore Loki comic fans. They're not aiming it at the long-established MCU fans, and they're not—they're not aiming it at people that they want to get into the MCU. It seems to be very, very Loki because those little things, like the Thanos copter, I know the background to it because I thought, why the hell is there a helicopter with Thanos on it? And I googled it. I paused the program to Google it and and found out. And then I thought, oh right, it wasn't. I didn't think it was. Oh, that's really clever. Oh, that's really good because it's not something that that it's not a callback to something that we've seen on screen. And it is so bizarre mm. because, you know, we can't imagine Thanos being this this villain that flies around in a helicopter. <laughs> because it is so far removed from what we know, I didn't... It, it, wasn't a, it wasn't an Easter egg that paid off for me. It was, it was something which took me out. It took me out to something that I was already fairly bored with anyway. I mean, Alligator Loki, that, was, that, that raised a smile. But, I mean, how many times are they going to cut to Alligator Loki and he doesn't say anything, he just kind of grunts because he's a fucking alligator. <laughs> you know, it was like, it just, it, it just, it was just, it was all, a, it was a one joke or a one, you know, old Loki looks ridiculous. He does, I, but I yeah, don't want to see that for 43 minutes. I just found that it was almost as if someone had said in a meeting somewhere, oh, these are the stupid things that used to be in comics, can you somehow try and jam them in? And there was no, like you said, there was no relevance to them. No, you know, it was it was almost as if just to say, "Oh, we do know the comics." And it's like, well, yeah, okay, fine. Put the put the fucking Thanos copter in the back, or like you say, alligator Loki or Frog Thor or whatever. There's actually uh, there's confirmation that there was a scene filmed in episode one with Frog Thor being full size 
fighting Loki, and it was voiced by Chris Hemsworth. But they, <laughs> you know, but they didn't they didn't keep that in. Mm. You know, whatever. <laughs> it was just so much. There was like things like that. It was almost like a sort of like confirmation bias of like, yeah, we know the comics. And I was I was just thinking, well, well, this doesn't relate to this TVA story. With Loki, I know the TVA existed in the comics. I'm not trying to be a comic aficionado because I'm not. If you were aiming for that market, you would go down the wrong route anyway because you you go in like a completely different direction anyway. I, I, I just thought by the end of that episode, I just thought this has disappeared up its own arse. Well, again, that was the thing as well. We had like a sort of president Loki turn up, you know, with like eight or nine other different variations of Loki, that look nothing like Loki. If you like, so we keep referencing Doctor Who, but if you like, you know, then you've got number one and number two and number three and number four look completely different. I completely accept that. That's great. But again, I'm seeing president Loki there and I'm thinking, oh, right. Okay. And then like 20 seconds, like he's gone. I'm like, oh, well, this yeah. is like, the, this is like the DB Cooper rooms again. Mm-hmm. Was it, you know, that, you're going to show me something in the trailer and make me think, is that our Loki? You know, if you like our Loki, or is that like a variant of Loki? Is that, you know, is he going to go up against President Loki at some time? You know, is that him as D.B. Cooper or was D.B. Cooper a variant of Loki? You know, these were going to be self-contained episodes. Well, oh, God, that was some mess. Richard E. Grant as classic Loki or old Loki or whatever he was supposed to be. I thought he did Kermit, tremendous job. Kermit Loki. I'm going to say with Richard E. Grant, uh, the, the, the sort of, Three sci-fi shows I've seen him in when he's been announced. He did the radio play for Doctor Who before Doctor Who came back. He was announced he was going to be a bad guy in Doctor Who. They fucked that up. He was going to be in Star Wars. They fucked that up. Like, to quote a phrase that me and Sky used to love using, he was a fucking tour de force in this episode. He was great. (laughs) But the character really... What given a lot to do, was he? Well, look, they, they, yeah. look, they've got with Neil, for God's sake. They've got fucking with Neil in a Marvel property, yeah. and they've done... I do... Yeah. I, that's what I'm saying. If, if you look at those three sci-fi properties I mentioned there, and at any stage you said to me, Richard E. Grant's going to be him, I'd have gone, fucking great. Yeah. And in every one of those sci-fi properties, I've just gone, well, what was the point in hiring Richard E. Grant? You could have got anywhere to do that. Exactly, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then, obviously, that episode, the fifth episode, where we were expecting it to be, you know, things are going to come together, it didn't. And then it led into, we, we've already found out that the, the, the timekeepers are not who, they, you know, they're not even real. They, they're just a front for something else. So immediately we're all thinking, well, this is time travel. That yeah. was diabolical, but he was It was the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. It was the Wizard of Oz. Oh, my God. Yes. Well, you're oldest now. How old is he now? About 11 or 12? Sky? 10. He worked that out. I've no doubt. I've no doubt he worked out that they are the timekeepers. When we hadn't seen them by a certain point, we were already talking, like you and I and Richie and Jim Cotter were talking about, look, this surely this has got to be... This is time travel. This is the timeline. This has to be Kang the Conqueror, which takes us on to the sixth and final episode, which i got to say, right, the, the TVA's thing of for all time always... It's a cool little tagline, and you know, if this was just an episode about Loki and we were loving it, I'd love to be able to title this episode for all time, always. It's a cool little thing, yeah. uh, you know. There are little flourishes of, 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 I wouldn't say brilliance, but things which are approaching brilliance in it. And then when we come to the the sixth and final episode, and Sylvie and Loki, or Loki and Sylvie, you know, because it's more like the Sylvie show from a certain. We haven't really talked about Sylvie. Like you say, this is really the Sylvie show, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, you know, I started off disliking her. Then I actually kind of liked her. And then when it came to the last episode and she is just doing everything she can to try and kill 
I don't even know what to call him because he's actually credited as he who remains. But yet, you know, like I said to you guys, that you know, in a conversation we had earlier today, the fact that he lingered so much on the various things he's been called over the eons, and one of them was Conqueror, and he almost like winks at the camera when he says that. Yeah. Oh, Are we God. led to believe that this is Kang the Conqueror? I don't know. I think I, I read something a, a, a while ago. I, I don't know which series it is, but there's a there's a comic book character who is called He Who Remains, and he is a variation of Kang. He's not the Kang that right. is going to become the next okay. big bad, but he is a variation of Kang. That's a stab. That is established. Right. The fact that they cast Jonathan Majors. Now we, we've talked about you know the complete dearth of good films we've had in the last two years. Granted, it's down to the pandemic. That's had a massive effect on everything. But even the stuff we have had has felt kind of like. You know, watered down, washed out, you know, franchise led stuff. We've had very little in the way of quality films like we did in 2019. 2019, the, the last normal condition year of cinema was a fantastic year for film. One of those films was The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Jonathan Majors kind of played a supporting role in that film, or he, he was one of two kind of main characters in it, and he was brilliant. And when I saw him, I thought, oh, oh cool, they got Jonathan Majors. Great. And then literally within a couple of minutes the way he's presenting himself the kind of kooky sort of you know light-hearted way he is presenting himself as this all-powerful being i'm thinking ah you know what there's literally you know i'm expecting we and we are deserving of something akin to either loki or thanos in terms of great mcu villains at the end of this series i'm hoping and praying that kang the Conk, because he's already confirmed he's going to be in the next ant-man movie He's probably yeah. gonna have some impact with the uh, Doctor Strange too. I am hoping that they have done this as a, a rug pull. Mm. The way that Jonathan Majors is portraying himself there is going to be the polar opposite to what Kang is. Yeah, I think that's what yeah. it is. I think that's and what it is. Again, I'm gonna go back to Doctor Who again. I'm sorry, Sky, because I know you hate us talking about Doctor Who. No, you carry on. If anyone is familiar with Doctor Who, you will know that the master was the sort of major big bad throughout that. Mm -hmm. And he was played by two different actors, but very similar looking actors who played it in the same way. And they never used it again until uh, the Russell T. Davis area when they brought uh, John Sim became the master. Basically was a bit unhinged and almost played it, chewing the scene. I can't fault John Sim's portrayal of the master because he did something different. You know, he was sort of chewing the scenery a little bit. It was a little bit Joker-esque, if you like, and he was very loud and flamboyant. And He was bouncing off David Tennant. Yeah, and it worked with David Tennant. And the, yeah. the problem I've always had with every master since that is everyone has used that as a template of how to play yes. the master. When the, yes. two, the, two, the two actors who played the master before that were very stoic and very sort of almost like you say, like almost very Thanos like, if you like, weren't they? They were very sort of like, I'm set in stone, I'm evil. And then John yes. Sim sort of flipped that on his head and went, No, I'm going to be the Joker. I'm going to be flamboyant. I'm going to be Wesley Snipes in Demolition Man. I'm going to be very sort of extravagant. And yeah. and then everyone that's come afterwards has always had to do, you know, a little pirouette when they come into the room, you know? And that, when I was watching that, I was thinking, Jesus Christ, is Jonathan Majors just sat there? And just gone, give me every Doctor Who since 2009. It was literally that. I was just like, this isn't Thanos. I'm hoping with the second season of Loki, I'm hoping that we have another episode where I go, do you know how much we hated the first episode, guys? Because I think it's pretty much established. We, I'm not going to say hated, but how much we didn't enjoy the first episode, uh, the first season. Serious, yeah. Yeah, it, how it's come back on itself and it's, you know, it's turned round now, you know? They had to do that for this reason. And I think and that's I'm what hoping, it is. I think I, I'm hoping when I see Kang the Conqueror that he is not 
the flamboyant dancing fool. <laughs> right, because and I think that's what I think that's what it's going to be. I think that's what it's going to be. That's the rug pull. We think that we we think we've got a handle on who this person is, and yeah. he's warned us that there are not very nice versions of him. But but we think, and then we're going to meet the actual Kang, and we're going to be as an audience surprised at what an absolute bastard he is. Listen, two three years time from now, we could be sat here and eating our words. I think but, I think one of my but, one of my overall issues. But is I, I was going to say you can't judge a whole. You can't judge this season on two three years time. I might be eating my words. I want to know what's happening now. We we so many of so many of the things that have that have gone before the the, the MCU are so good at planting seeds and and paying them off years down the line. How many times have we said this before? My my overriding problem with Loki. Far more than Falcon and Winter Soldier, and really Falcon and Winter Soldier. There's probably a, a, an easier, an easier target for this. But years ago, where in the Phase One and Phase Two of the MCU, we used to have the one shots on the on the Blu-ray releases, and they would fill in a gap. They'd be sort of five, ten minutes long, little movies that would mm-hmm. fill in a gap that we didn't need, but they did. But they they gave us a little bit of extra on a character or a little bit of comedy. There was a follow-up with um, Trevor Slattery and all this sort of stuff, and. And they were nice little things. Yes. What Falcon and Winter, the danger with Falcon and Winter Soldier was that it was going to be a seven, whatever, how many episodes, eight, eight episodes, whatever it was, it yeah. was going to be an eight-hour one-shot. You know, we were we were going to end up where we thought we technically were at the end of, of Endgame anyway, uh, but they've just taken a long time to explain it. It didn't, it, that, you know, that for me didn't happen. With Loki, going into it, this expectation that we're going to have time-traveling sort of, you know, mischief and fun and you know something which doesn't have to be beholden to the rest of the Marvel universe because main Loki is already done and dusted. This guy is off doing what he needs to do in, in yeah. alternate universes, and he can do what he wants because it's all fun and it's not connected. Actually, having that expectation, what I feel like is this: the whole, I feel like the the actual purpose of this was setting up the multiverse, setting up your understanding of of the timelines. What could have been done in perhaps a, a few minutes of conversation or a few minutes of demonstration with the great one or whatever, it, it now feels like that is the main purpose of this just to really embed in our brains what the, the, the timeline is and what Kang is about and multi, because ultimately it ends with sequence of the branches coming off the timeline. And we know because we've been told it, that it's going to feed straight into Spider-Man. It's going to feed straight into Dr. Strange too. And I think if, all I'm taking away from this series, apart from lots of disappointment, is, well, I know what the multiverse is, or I know how why the multiverse has been quite contained up until now. Well, I didn't need six hours for that. Yeah. If the best thing I've taken away from it is I've got an explanation of what the multiverse is, well, that's 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 a wasted six hours. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, like you're saying there about Marvel is so great at laying the seeds and little Easter eggs and little payoffs. We were doing it with Captain Winter Soldier. We were like, oh, my God, they did that. You know, Captain America, the first Avenger and stuff. And that's fucking great. But the difference is, when they were laying those seeds, when they were placing those Easter eggs, they were good payoffs three, four years down the line. Yeah. But I wasn't, wasn't moaning about the content I was watching at the time. I was thoroughly enjoying the content I was watching at the time. If you want to tell me that, in like I say, I keep saying, in two, three years' time, I might be eating my words. It might be, I might be, whatever I say, it might look really silly. It still won't change the fact that I wasn't entertained when mm-hmm. I was watching this. Yeah. It's not going to change that. And Rich, in that little portion you just said then about 
you know, your kind of summing up of this show, there was one word I'm focusing on you mentioned, and that's something that this show is lacking, and that's fun. It just wasn't yeah. fun. We got the god of mischief. Yeah. And how could this not be fun? It should have been gleeful, mischievous fun from start to finish. And it just... I never, ever thought I'd be saying I was bored. I oh, never God, thought yeah. I'd be bored with a Loki. Right. You know, let's, may, let's... May, maybe stretch, maybe stretch, you know, uh, you know, to take things a bit too far and think, oh, that, that was a bit silly. That was a bit daft. That was a bit, you know, they, they've pushed things a little bit there. Christ almighty, I'd kill for a bit of silliness in that programme. How many times do we forget this program was on? Exactly. Oh yeah, you're right, Neil. You're right. We were reminding each we were reminding each other it was Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. We knew we were doing this episode, and I, I would say, "Oh, have you guys watched Loki yet?" And you go, "Oh, I forgot." <laughs> or vice versa. We did. You know, Richard, we did. Richard sent a text saying, "Oh, you know, no spoilers, but you know, mm, you know, I'm not impressed or whatever." And I go, "Loki's on." <laughs> I was forgetting, and we knew we were doing this episode. We're supposedly yeah. professionals. We were reviewing this. If I'm just a casual viewer who's just watching it, how the hell are you supposed to remember it's on on a Wednesday? Yeah. In which case, yeah. Neil, perfectly timed, right? Before our listeners get bored of all this negativity, let's give our final thoughts and our scores out of 10 for Loki. And at this moment in time, it's going to be a generous five. Generous five. Oh, okay then. I'm going to go five. A generous five for Rich. Neil, I, but, Neil, I don't even know why I'm being hesitant. I've already scored it on IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give it a gen. I'm going to give it a generous five, the same as Rich, just for the simple reason that I still think there's something that can be salvaged there. Uh, I can't fault Hiddleston's performance. I can only fault the writing and the direction of this show. I I fully agree with that. Yeah, I fully agree with that. I'm going to give it a splinters in my ass because I'm sat so much on the fence. Jim Cottle, irritating, five out of ten. <laughs> he's going to hate us for it, and he's going to be five, five, five. Yeah, it, it, it's just a two. It's a two at best. And <laughs> I was look, I was leaning towards a four. But then, if you're going to put it in line with everything else, has this show? irritated me as much as something like Captain Marvel did, which I think we gave a five, or I, I certainly gave a five. We, we, I'm sure we could have gone on for another hour with a lot of the criticism, but we've got to balance things. So that's a film 89 verdict for season one of Loki of five out of ten. You don't know everything about me. The Avengers weren't my first family. At some point, we all have to choose between what the world wants you to be and who you are. So, for the second half of the episode, we've got another review. It's another Marvel property. This time it's on the big screen or the small screen, depending on how you uh, chose to view it. It's the first big screen outing for Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow. Guys, have we discussed Black Widow previously on this uh, podcast? We're bound to have some. I think we did. We did when we were talking about what was coming up, didn't we? At the end of Falcon Winter Soldier. Yeah, and, I, I don't uh, think we've, we've. I don't think we've gone anything further than kind of mentioning the fact that it's on the horizon. Yeah. Yeah, and that we weren't yeah. that we weren't particularly bothered about it. Yeah, obviously, I think it's safe to say that as a character, 
we all love Black Widow. I've talked about Scarlett Johansson, you know, for I think the best part of two and a quarter hours on our uh, Lost in Translation and her episode. She well, is. You, you talk about Scarlett Johansson quite a lot. I've noticed. She, yeah, well, you know, she she's one of my favorite actresses, and yes, of course. she is getting finally getting a big screen out, and is great. But they've already killed her off. Yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 it did seem a strange choice today. <laughs> Did she have like one, one, one more film left on a contract or something? I don't know. I don't know. I know. I know when they all initially signed up, like Nick Fury. Uh, sorry, Samuel Jackson was going to be Nick Fury for like 112 films or so, wasn't he? And like Chris Hemsworth was signed up for like the rest of his natural life. And did Scott Johansson have some sort of similar deal? They were just like, ah, oh, right, okay, well, we killed it off at Endgame. But do you remember they started filming it and they hadn't actually announced it? It was like yeah, it was as if they, they were trying to keep they were trying to keep it a secret. Of all the films they could be keeping a secret, having already killed her off, it's not the most exciting sort of secret to keep, is it? Because what else is it going to be when it's the Marvel crew? We know it's it's a Marvel film day in day all, all day long, and it's heavily rumored that Black Widow film was coming. Oh, it hasn't happened yet. Oh, they're probably doing it now, but they still wouldn't confirm it. It just seemed bizarre. And we and keep, went on for a long time. I was going to say we keep saying killed off as if it's like some sort of derogatory thing. I mean, okay, the character was in effect killed off. But I mean, what better way to go out? I mean, oh, yeah, was, I was gonna say when you look when you look at that film, the, the sort of two characters that did inverted commas were killed off. Hmm. You know, with Stark and Natasha, both went out like total legends, didn't they? Like you yeah, know, yeah, God, yeah. They you know they didn't go out in the same way that Loki did. You know? No, exactly. You know, Loki had a bit of a yeah, a bit of a uh, bit of a crap. Anti- ad- anticlimactic, really. What about Loki? Was, Getting his neck broken by Thanos is 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 is, is a good show of Thanos's power, but the fact that you know, surely Loki would have done made a better effort to outsmart him. But you know, again, let's leave Loki where we've uh, where we've just left it with our score of five out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, the generous five out of ten? Generous, generous yeah. five out of ten. And yeah, this just I think overall, guys, for us, given the fact that you know we all love Black Widow and we're all clamoring for another film especially the fact that we've spent the last 18 months you know starved of films and and, and you know along with Bond this is one of the most sort of heavily affected films by the pandemic in so much as it's been delayed and delayed and delayed it finally comes out and you know let's go back to a week ago when the film was released and I think we were messaging each other saying oh guys uh, Black Widow's out and yeah there's just no sort of excitement from us. Is it a combination of the fact that we've been beaten down by some, you know, disappointing Marvel TV of late, or the fact that this film has been, even when it was first announced, it felt a little bit kind of, well, you know, this is kind of like closing the, the, the you know, the bando after the horse has bolted. Surely this film should have come in 2016 after Captain America Civil War, you know, to kind yeah. of show what, what happened after that film, but it didn't. It's coming now, after she's died. Yeah. I cannot but think, I mean, this would have been the film to do instead of Captain Marvel. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> when you have that sort of Infinity War sort of lag and, you know, we're going to do sort of Ant-Man and a Wasp, chuck this film in then. Yeah. And and I do think perhaps this film has been affected, like you say, by the sort of delays and the sort of postponements and we're going through a pandemic. So, I, you know, I can't, no one's to fault for that. That's that's no fault of Marvel. That's no fault of Disney. That's no fault of anyone. The the fact that this films have to be delayed for so many times. Really speaking, I still really want to see the Bond film, and the more it gets delayed, that doesn't take anything away from it. You know, I still think, yeah, I still want to see that film. With this film, I was always sort of like, yeah. So with this one, I, I, 
going back probably at least six months ago, if you'd said to me this is just going straight to streaming, it's not even going to be on Disney Plus Premier, it's just going to be on Disney Plus and you can watch it whenever you want, I wouldn't have been outraged by that. I'd have been, well, yeah, okay, it's just, you know, there doesn't seem to be any, any point to this film. And I kept thinking, is there going to be some sort of clever twist to this where, don't get me wrong, again, we were talking earlier about, you know, certain characters shouldn't come back, but is there going to be some sort of clever twist to this where this is all in her head while she sat on Voldemort or something, you know? <laughs> and I, I'm being sold this film as a prequel and I'm going to come out and go, you geniuses, you did it again! You know, you totally subverted my expectations. And it's like, nope, this is just just, you know, just a prequel to Civil War. I love the fact, yeah. Neil, that being the massive Harry Potter fan that you are, you've turned Vormir <laughs> into Voldemort. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna leave that lie, but uh, I'm glad you didn't. Neil, I can't, Neil, I can't do that, too, bro. I got your back. Keep it in, keep it in. I'll keep it in. Speaking of a bald man with a very flat nose, I can, just, yeah, I can relate. Clearly, then we've gone into this film with next to no expectation and a kind of pretty flat level of excitement. Is that right? It was, it was kind of. I'm watching it because it's a Marvel film and I'm obviously intrigued to find out what they feel they need to tell us about yeah. a character that the, the, the character whose past is shrouded in mystery is a, is a, is an awesome character as, as really, you know, has, has been there from almost the beginning is a good, has got a great individual relationships with each one of the Avengers bar Thor. There's not a huge amount if, if I'm, unless I'm forgetting, you know, good relationship with Banner, with Tony Stark and with Cap. And obviously with Hawkeye, we've always been teased with what went on in Budapest or Budapest. We've <laughs> been um, yeah, we've we've been teased with um, with you know what was on when what went on in her past as a child and, and and that, and we've seen little snippets. It's the sort of thing that a few years back, perhaps there would have been a, more of an appetite to find out that that background, and and even even kind of straight after Endgame. You know, I know that with the pandemic and everything, but this film was never going to be released straight after Endgame. And maybe there would have been a little bit more excitement because we've just seen her die and now we're going to find out a bit more. You know, maybe there'd be yes. a bit more now. But like I said to you before we watched it, my feeling now by this point is taking, taking away the fact that the pandemic has existed, we still would have had this film a year ago, which then still would have been uh, 14, 15 months after Endgame. Yeah. By this point now, we've 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 grieved for it. You know, I'm not anymore thinking to myself, Christ, I wish I knew what happened. It's it's a little bit too late now. It's a little bit too late to generate that real desire to find out what her backstory was. I completely, um, agree, I completely agree with you. And the other side of that, the other sort of counterbalance to that as well is, it's kind of answering a story that we never knew existed. If there was like the Budapest sort of thing. And you're going to relate to that, and you're going to do a film over that. Well, that's been referred to in other films. There's always been a, well, do you remember that timing? You know, I can kind of understand, although it falls into the trap of, like, solo uh, yes. a Star Wars movie, where you're like, well, I don't really need to know to find out how he got the Millennium Falcon. I'm just happy that he had it when I first met him. I can kind Buda, of relate. Budapest was always going to be the castle run, wasn't it? We yeah, don't need to see it. We don't need to know what it is. We don't need to know anymore. No, no. We just you know, shit can, went back. But I can kind of understand Disney, Marvel, whoever going, yeah, that's 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 a film we can make that'll be profitable and it will appeal to people. This film is basically going, remember everything we never told you about Black Widow? Well, now we're gonna give you a film about the things we never told you about. You never told us about it. you haven't seen this movie. I don't care, she's dead. Yeah. There's no there's no like 
Do you remember all the times you sat around remembering what happened, you know, wondering what would happen if she had a sister and a family that weren't really her family? Well, no, because our story was never presented to us, so I don't really need to see yeah. this film. But there was, <laughs> in, in, the, in the first Avengers film, Loki does say to her about killing um, Russian Ray Winston's daughter. Obviously, he doesn't use that, that yeah, name. Yeah, he but does, but... Exactly, but there, so there was a little, there was a little chink there, wasn't there, of, of, what, uh, in her armor? Then to, uh, well, I was going to say, what was the other thing? That was, I can't remember which character said to her about you've got some red dots on your ledger. No, it was, it was Loki. He said you've, you know, Loki. She, yeah, she, she said Loki. Bit, yeah. I've got red in my ledger. You know, I want to. Yeah, yeah, that never needs to be explained. No, it doesn't. What, of course, it doesn't. You, well, you're, ta- you're telling me this Russian defector agent who was a, effectively a, you know, a high-powered assassin and a highly skilled assassin hasn't made one or two bad decisions along the way. That's kind of a fucking given. Yeah, it's just like, guys, when in in Star Wars Attack of the Clones, we have Boba Fett's backstory given to us, and we're completely unimpressed by it because it takes away all of the mythos, all of the mythology, and the things that are best left to the imagination when they're explained you, to us in a poor way like that. It ends up just... You've nailed it. Just you've nullifying the character, doesn't it? Yes. You've nailed yes. it. If, you, if you're going to go back to a classic character, you go back to a classic character. Look at Boba Fett, Clone Wars. Look at Boba Fett, Mandalorian. Which version do you prefer? Exactly, yeah. I don't need to find out how Han Solo got some fucking dice for his Millennium Falcon. We're going back to episode one of the Filming Tonight podcast here. Yeah? I don't need to find out some inane shit that was mentioned once. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Right, and even if something is really important and is mentioned as a you know, ooh, you don't know what happened to this character's past, that's great. It makes me like that character. It makes me interested in the character. Once the minute you go back and start explaining it, I suddenly lose interest. So let's go. Let's go to the film's opening. Right, Ohio, nineteen ninety-five, and we've got the reuse of that big green filling Civil War location font, which I thought was really cool. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that was good. So we've got a teenage yeah. Natasha Romanoff. She's pulled out of her like idyllic family life when her undercover Russian agent parents' cover is blown. Now her parents, Melina and Alexi, are played by Rachel Weiss and David Harbour. Things very quickly escalate. They end up having to pack up and go. There's a, you know, a shootout in a, in a little kind of airstrip. You know, they end up escaping and then they meet up with Ray Winston's character, Drakeoff. Yeah, so they meet they meet up with Drakeoff, who we later find find out is the the head of of the Red Room, this sort of kind of cabal of, of female sort of assassins, and you know which are all under his control. And the the young Natasha Romanoff, she says to her father, "I won't go back there." And then she refers to her sister and says, "She's only six. And he says, "You were younger." So are we to assume that from that that Natasha has already started her Red Room training and conditioning by this point? I thought so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. So then we've got uh, you know, a montage opening credits with some brilliantly awful photoshopped images of Ray Winston. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> come on, guys. and a really dire performance of Smells Like Teen Spirit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That cover what of Smells it? Like Teen Spirit was bad. Yeah. It, it we went through a stage about two, three years ago where basically you pick a rock song, some mopey person sings a version of a rock song in a very slow down no melody version of this song yeah and it goes on a john lewis advert yeah and it goes on a john lewis yeah. advert you yeah. know lily allen made a made a fortune out of it now we're putting this into film titles are we and and guys what was forrest gump 1994 
Yes. And Forrest Gump, however many years ago, did a better job of putting Tom Hanks in historical footage than a film in 2021 managed to do in still photos. We're not even talking about moving footage. It couldn't even do it well with still photographs. It was terrible. I'm pretty sure it was going to be a thing that you quite often croak to people is Neil could do better on his phone. <laughs> I do say that, yeah, I do. Jim, Jim, Jim does on Face Swap or whatever it's called every week. He did, yeah. yeah, he did. He's Leslie Nielsen, he's legendary. I've got to oh, be honest yeah, yeah. that. So then we skip forward 21 years to 2016, the time just after Civil War and the fallout of that film with General Ross thinking that he's caught Black Widow but she's given him the slip and is actually far away. We then cut to Morocco. I like that. Yeah, I like, cut, I like that. Yeah. All this, all this yeah. is good. I was going to say, all this is good so far. I'm yeah. watching this film. I'm not interested at all in this film. I'm not excited at all about this film. You guys have told me this film comes out today. I'm watching it. I'm suddenly going, oh, this might actually be a good film. Yeah. So then we, we cut to Morocco, <laughs> more big screen filling text, and, and an older Yelena Belova, which is Natasha's younger sister, and she's quite graphically killing a woman in the street and in the process. She's getting zapped out of her brainwashed state by some um, some glittering kind of red dust. She cuts out the tracking, like sort of chip from her leg. Her former colleagues realise that she's been compromised and they activate the Taskmaster protocol. Then Natasha meets up with her, well, what is he? He's like a friendly arms dealer, yeah? He is the Richard Curtis written arms dealer. Arms dealer, yeah, because this, he's quirky, this, this, he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's a nice guy, but he just you know deals in guns and stuff like that. This guy could be the quirky mate in any Richard Curtis rom-com. He could be, he could, he could be in Notting Hill, he could be in Four Weddings, he could be... Bridget Jones, whatever. You just put him in there. He fits in there, Joey. He's an arms dealer. You just hit the nail on the head. I couldn't, I, I didn't know what it was. I couldn't put my finger on it. And the minute you said that, that's exactly, that is absolutely bang on. At one, at one point, I thought I was watching the wrong film, Rich. When he turned up, and I was like, what? Is Hugh Grant going to turn up in a minute or what? <laughs> <laughs> so then, yeah, she meets up with, um, with Mason, played by Craig David. There's this kind of... <laughs> There's sort of a neat little bit of fun poking at the kind of ridiculous way that she and Hawkeye pronounce Budapest. Jesus Christ. And then, you know, Natasha is alone in his caravan watching the greatest science fiction film ever made, Moonraker. Moonraker. And then she takes off with a package that we like to find out has been sent to her, and it's the vials that her sister, Yelena, had retrieved. And then, somehow... Taskmaster is able to intercept her, having inexplicably tracked her. Now, how did he, in inverted commas, <laughs> find out where she was? At this point, there clearly was a he. It was because it was actually, yeah, it was played by a guy. Was that, yeah, it's yeah, been revealed that that, that actual. Male Stumbab was on Instagram mm. showing pictures of himself. Too, was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll leave that there. And then somehow, yeah, obviously he tracks her down. They fight. Natasha does the quickest switcheroo we've ever seen and gets away with the vials. And then we're in Budapest. And then Natasha meets her sister. Ah, look. For me, in the most cliched manner, they fight. Why do they fight? It really looks in certain shots, like when they're grabbing knives and thrust them towards each other, that they're trying to seriously injure or even kill each other. I, I'm sorry. It's just one of those things where it doesn't make any sense at all. And... At this point, the film's kind of got my attention, but at the same time, it's also invoking size of, oh, come on, really? This is not Captain America with a Winter Soldier, yet it's trying to be. But if it's almost like sort of measuring each other's ability and it's almost like challenging each other to sort of like a, a, a sort of fake st- sort of sparring standoff, I can kind of understand that. There's bits in this where they are throwing each other through kitchen cabinets. 
This isn't like, haha, I see you I see you've lost the step, Nastasha. Oh yes, well, you know, you know, and yes, you you seem to be have gained a step, you know. They are trying to kill each other. Oh yeah, it's it's not it's not playful, <laughs> is it? It's not playful. At one point they're smashing she smashes a plate <laughs> into a younger sister's face. Yeah. Yeah. This, oh, we've this all is, done it. This isn't a game of tag when I'm saying to you, well, I still got it. I'm still a little bit faster than you. And you're going, yeah. I don't think so. I've learned, you know, you didn't teach me everything. I learned some new moves. I'm smashing a fucking plate in your face. This isn't friendly banter. No, you're right. <laughs> yeah. It's not. I, I felt that the purpose of that was, you know, she knew she needed to get Natasha. She knew she needed to help. She needed to bring her back into the fold and they had any, things they had to do. And then because this film is inherently about family and seeing the the real background and the trauma that Natasha's been through, all this sort of stuff. So it's, a, it's about families at the heart of it, what have you. This was uh, his sister's hurt and everything and, and emotions took over and, and that then caused her to sort of go for it, which I think that's what I think that, that that was supposed to be doing. But as you say, that would go for maybe a few punches, maybe a bit of throw in, maybe, you know, their play fighting, seeing, you know, seeing how they've kind of um, improved their fighting style, not trying to murder each other. Yeah, yeah, and then you know, there's a bit of exposition, and they have a bit of a catch up, and you know, Natasha says that killing Drakeoff was the final stage of my defection to Shield, and then you know, the the Red Room girls turn up, um, and we see Drakeoff make one of the girls kill herself using his iPad. I did like the little callback. Um, what uh, what bullets cause those holes? They aren't bullets; they're arrows. I did like that. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and, and then you know we have a pretty good car slash bike chase, which ends in them crashing into a subway, which just so happens to be the same subway that Natasha and Clint Barton hid out in after Natasha blew up a building years before, where she thought that Drake Gob was with his along with his young daughter. Very convenient that they they crashed in that exact spot, don't you think? It does seem the whole of Budapest that there was various <laughs> places they could, they could have ended up. Like you say, it was rather convenient. Use the word convenient, Daniel, very diplomatically. I'm going to just say, it's piss poor lazy writing. Yes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so then, Yelena, uh, you know, they, they, they managed to get away from Taskmaster, and then Yelena, who, who at this point is still male, Yelena gives gives Natasha some stick with some like piss taken about the fighting pose that she does. That was quite funny, and I think it was well deserved to be honest with you, know, wasn't it? Well, I kind I kind of think Deadpool had already done that with a superhero landing with a. It did, oh, yeah, I, yeah. Can I still say Gina Carrero without getting banned from Twitter? No, Gina, Gina Carrero's character. Carano. Carano? Carano. The woman you, you, you profess to love so much, you can't even get her surname right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm You've so, never I'm, got it right on you. I've always left it in. I'm so let down by her. <laughs> but I can't, Gina, Gina Voldemort, you mean? Yeah, Gina Voldemort um, was, uh, was there. <laughs> well, she in this film, Gina Carano, uh, they did the same thing in Deadpool, didn't they? Where she jumped off and he was like, Deadpool was like, superhero landing, superhero landing. Oh, she nailed it. Yeah. So I was like, that's it's clever, but that joke's kind of been done. But yeah, I'll let that go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's done in so much as taking the piss out of Natasha. It's more kind of getting us to, I don't know, maybe like Yelena a bit more. I Yelena, did like Yelena. I did like Yelena. I've got to be honest. I thought she, she was, was, I, I she, was she, she was great. She was very, very, very much 
like the best of Jodie Comer from Killing Eve must be a massive influence, I would say, on 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 what? on the character. So there was a, there was a bit of a nod to the camera, a nod to the audience for that one because that's take that's also acknowledging the fact that the earlier stories or the earlier films with Black Widow, you know, the, that that pose and the flick of the hair and all the rest of it, it was kind of a bit of a this isn't what we're doing with this film kind of thing, and we're gonna we're actually gonna be self-deprecating over it because it's it, the whole thing is about this being a, a film about you know she's the main character and everything now she can't just land and flick her hair back and be this you know there's more to her than that that's basically what they were saying wasn't it yes yeah yeah so then they, they decide to go after the, the not dead drake off and they meet up with craig david who supplies him with a helicopter to break alexi their kind of father out of rue repente the little nod to all you uh, star trek fans and then we cut to <laughs> alexi arm wrestling with convicts and breaking their wrists whilst having a back tattoo done <laughs> Oh, God. I thought I, I I really enjoyed that sequence. I really did. I know it was daft and all the rest uh, of it, but I did. I just enjoyed it. Well, I was going to say, if you look at that character, he starts off the opening sequence. He is so together and he's so sort of in charge and he's so sort of professional. And yeah. then to see the contrast to that, I was like, this character is really going somewhere. I think the Red Guardian is really going to mean something in this film. Mm-hmm. And I'll just leave it there. What immediately happens after the arm wrestling? Can you can you remember in this <laughs> riveting <laughs> film? <laughs> I'm giving things away way too early, but can you remember immediately what happens after the arm wrestling bit? He went he went to get some cookies. Yes, he went he went to see the guards. They called him over. Some of his fans have sent him some some cookies or something they've made. Yeah, and then yeah. the stuff that they don't want, they give to him, which includes a load of letters and a Red Guardian action figure. Yeah, that's uh-huh. right. Of course, yeah. So let's press pause. <laughs> On the way to this gulag, the girls they stop to buy and then modify <laughs> and then send in the post a toy of the Red Guardian to the prison. Oh my God, you're you're nitpicking so much. No, Come am I? On. Oh, so what's the explanation, Neil? Because how long would it have taken to do that? <laughs> or you, you use the word convenient? Is it just an easier way to excuse some lazy writing? I, I I genuinely didn't think about it. I I didn't on the first viewing. I didn't, but on on the second on the second sort of half viewing of the film. That's the type of thing Natasha would do. Does the Terminator stop off to buy roses in T two? Yeah, but it, it, he could have passed a concession on the way. Oh, so what? He had money, did he? He oh, just yes, yeah, allowed, and, and, allowed and me to pay, well. allowed me to pay for got... this on my American Express. <laughs> you know, it, that, that that toy could have been in amongst Natasha's sister's block. Whatever, it's it's somewhere, isn't yes, it? it yeah. it's, I'll let it's, that go. it's it's in it's in Budapest, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. It's somewhere. It's somewhere. That that is, guy. You are you are picking a nit there. Oh, and I just think you're excusing shit right in. But there you go. That's fine. They well, we work out first off that he's got superpowers, much like Cap, as we've seen it previously in the film, when he's like kind of flipping a. You know, he looked like he was stronger than Cap, to be honest. The way he flipped, the way he flipped that lorry. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, he's he's got something going on. He's like the Russian equivalent of Captain America. And then the girls, you know, in their rescue attempt, they set off an avalanche, which I think we can only assume kills a lot of those poor convicts and prison guards before they make their escape. So then Alexi gets in the helicopter, and I know what you, I know what's coming. Don't please don't do this. Scene. He makes a really sexist jab about Yelena having a period, which leads to some jokey minimizing of the terrible things that the Red Room did to its girls in 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 the way they sterilized them. It's, it's minimized yeah. for comedy value. Oof. We have talked before about non-friend to the show, Josh Weldon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Josh Weldon. 
I can't believe we're still laughing about this month later. <laughs> Josh Wyden wrote a bit when Natasha first told Banner about her being having a hysterectomy and stuff like that. And this got widespread criticism mm. because they said, well, are you trying to tell me because she can't have children that she's less a woman, she's less a person? Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, no, it's quite impactful. I, I didn't read it that way, but I can understand how some people did. Yeah. At no point did I think, this will be something I'll come back to and use as a sort of jokey scene in a helicopter. Yeah. Now, the, the first time I watched it, I thought, oof, wow. Yeah, that's that's harsh, isn't it? But then the second time, it's played more as a sort of jokey way to make Alexi feel uncomfortable. I thought, oh, yeah, he's totally minimising something which is absolutely horrific. That was the whole thing. Was I, I didn't uh, say I, I could see why some people were offended by it. Whatever, you know, I'm not. I'm never going to be in a position where I, I have to say, well, I can't have children. So perhaps it might have affected some person who couldn't have children. I, I, I don't know, and I'm not going to try and belittle it. I'm not going to try and make light of that scene. To me, that was look at the what the horrors this woman has been through. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And she's pairing herself up with banners. She's saying that we're both a little bit broken. You yes. know, we both got, but we can be together and we can do this. And we were actually quite well matched because he's saying. Well, I could never have children because I wouldn't want to pass this on to him. And she said, well, I'm the perfect person for you mm. because I can't have children anyway. And I read that as quite a nice scene, to be honest. Not a nice scene. Yeah, I don't, when I say nice scene, that's the wrong way of looking at it. It's, it's making something positive out of a terrible thing that this thank you. woman's been thank through. You. And, and yeah, you know, the you. fact that you know Banner's obviously got some long-standing issues as well and you know it's, yeah exactly. it's, it's but it's done it's done tastefully isn't it yes whereas this just seemed to be like and then you'll rip the uterus out and yeah. then you take up my ovaries and i know it like tonally tonally that's it's like this is disney plus what the fuck are you doing yeah, what is this did, did, oh. I, i've just i've just watched her kill someone with no blood she's basically just gutted a woman in the middle yeah. of the streets yeah with no blood mm-hmm. and that's fine because this is a 12a so yeah. I can accept the fact that she can put a knife in, she can twist it. I mean, that woman's innards would have been over the street, but I can accept the fact this isn't the Predator. I don't want to see, you know, it splattered on the floor in front of her. But then to go from that, so who's this film aimed at then? Because now we're joking about his, Daddy, what's a hysterectomy? What? what? Yeah. I'm I, I'm going to go totally the other way, and I thought it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely did. I thought, but I was sat there, I watched it with my wife and my 12-year-old daughter. Again, seeing the parallels with Jodie Comer's character and everything like that, this was, I just took that as, it's reminding us of the horrors that they've been through. Again, it was kind of like, you know, the, the cliched sort of mention a period in front of a, a, a bloke. Anything can happen because they can't deal with women's things, you know. And and that was just, you know, her using, her weaponizing a traumatic incident that, that her and Natasha and, and all the other winners have been through, weaponizing I kinda, it. I kind of get, get that, Rich, but it didn't need to go on for three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it didn't, but well, it well, felt it, like that. But yeah, no, you know. It felt like, yeah. Oh, I, well, it, it didn't for me. I thought it was funny. No, and I had a similar reaction to you, Rich, on the first viewing. But on the second one, when I was just watching on my own, it played totally differently. And that's what I mean about the value of like a, of a second viewing. I'll, I'll come back to that anyway. Right. I'm glad you made it to a second viewing. I, I didn't. It was a viewing in a bit. Yeah, it was a viewing in a bit because... <laughs> I, I got to the bit where they got to Laputa, the the, uh, the castle in the sky, and then I wasn't able to watch any more, and I haven't been able to finish the film before the recording of this episode. So then they find Melina, and uh, unfortunately this is something I did manage to watch on the second viewing. They catch up with Melina, and the film kind of grinds to a halt for, and I timed it, 
22 minutes. And I got no problem with, with dialogue scenes in, in films. Like you, you mentioned, Neil Age of Ultron, that's full of them. Like where we yeah. get to see our heroes letting their hair down and having a bit of well-needed verbal interaction. But there's nothing here in this film that for me was in any way engaging or entertaining in terms of you know the to and fro with the dialogue with these characters. And on my second watch, it just stood out as to how poorly executed this whole scene of Melina, Alexi, Elena, and Natasha catching up. Vice and Harbour, for me, in these scenes, just didn't really sell it with the performances, which is a shame, because I genuinely think that Johansson and Florence Pugh were great throughout the film, and they were great in this when the conversation turned serious. Unfortunately, because Alexi has played like such a clown, none of it worked for me. And when Elena and Alexi go to the bedroom to talk, and he ends up singing to her, well, this is where my notes end, and it says it's just awful. Yeah, I think, like you say, with, with Vice and Harbour, I think you've got two actors there who, they're not bad actors. They're capable, aren't they? Well, they're more than capable. Both of those actors oh, are God, more yeah. than capable. I just felt with a pair of those characters, I mean, Harbour's character, I didn't know how many people were writing and directing this film because he seemed to be a different personality, a different person every time I saw him. He was totally different in the beginning, wasn't he? Like you say, Neil, to- totally different. And then when they catch up with him in the, in the the prison, he's just, and from that point onwards, he's, he's buffoonish. Like you say, he went from being this super cool, ultra, you know, uber spy to like this big bumbling buffoon mm. with no explanation given. If it well, was... he spent 20 years in prison, didn't he? He spent what? he got betrayed by Russian yeah. Ray Winston and he spent 20 years in prison. So I think he's got... How, how does that make him a buffoon? I think that he's gone from thinking that or believing that he was a very important cog within this organisation to then being, then being scapegoated and sent to prison. You know, he thought that he was the you know, the face of Russia or, or whatever the uh, the USSR or, or, whatever, or, or however that it was it was figured at the time. He was the Russian Rich, Captain America. Rich, I completely agree with you on that, mate. Uh, there's some very, really valid points. Do you know what's missing from your argument? The scene the when he sits... No, <laughs> the, the scene when he sits there with a glass of vodka and says, I used to think I had everything together and I used to think this and then this happened and then that happened and I realised I was just a tool of the Soviet system or something like that. That was never explained. Maybe they didn't need it because I, I got that. So like the, my thing was with him was that um, the, the family dynamic, the, obviously the, the, the going back to what, what I think is one of the themes of the film is the family dynamic. You've got the, the sister then who all she ever knew was that that was her family. So for her, Natasha had already been in had already been in the Black Widow program. Was already aware of what you know the, the underbelly of what was going on, whereas the sister wasn't. As far as she was concerned, that was her dad, that was her mum, and that was traumatic. And she's always held on to that as her ideal childhood. And you've got so in her eyes, perfect mum, perfect dad, and and this sort of stuff. And then now she's seeing that actually the person who she thought was her dad, who had it all together didn't have it together at all is completely this has become this bumbling clown his life was completely turned upside down it wasn't anything like he thought it was it, it was supposed to be or you've now got the person who was was that character ever given any pathos to say that what i'm saying is we're having this discussion now and i perfectly accept what you're saying and i perfectly actually agree with what you're saying but as a sort of narrative presented on the screen, was that ever presented to us? It wasn't earned, Neil, was it? The, the, the pathos for me wasn't earned. So that's got to, that must then be subjective then, because for me it was, because I liked that family sequence. I liked them around the table. There was a bit, it did get a little bit sort was of that she, was, was that a bit where she almost killed the pig? Oh, the pig. Oh, yeah. the pig. Oh. <laughs> look, I, look, look, listen, I, Rich, I'm being too harsh, but I agree with you. The bit where they were like sit up straight and do this and do that, they were almost falling back into being the family straight away. 
I thought was quite cute and quite endearing. Counteract that with, I'm going to stop a pig from breathing. This seems very jarring. It tonally, <laughs> tonally, you know, I agree with you. Tonally, this film... It's all over the fucking shop. It's, yeah, it's, it is. It, it is. And this whole film is all over the fucking it was, shop. It was showing how what Melina has become as well, wasn't it? Because she sees nothing wrong in what she's doing. She sees nothing wrong in, in how she's presenting this gadget in, in, in what it's doing to the pig. I, I don't know, Rich. I don't know I don't know that it shows that because I, I know so little about them. When they are taking time to give us exposition, it's done in such a clumsy way that, uh, I don't know, I, I, I'm just totally, I, I feel like I'm being thrown all over the place. And if they're taking 20 minutes to give us a bit of filling in the blanks about their family you know, setup and, and situation, the way it's been done has just not got across the information I need in order to end up in a position where I actually give a shit about these two people, about you know, Melina and, and Alexi. Yeah, I, and that's and, and well, that's where I, that's where I disagree because I think it does. However, I think that it's all it's almost fruitless anyway because come the end of the film, the very fact that you've got this whole prequelitis issue with it, you've now got a situation where where Natasha's now got to go off on her own. Yeah. So so what happens with the widows that they you know all all the stuff that's left hanging there now? Yeah. It feels a little bit like. And now we'll wipe the droids' memories, and they'll forget all about the three films they've yes. just done. It, it it was just a kind of like, yeah. you know, it suffers massively from being a prequel. But I, but on a, on a character on a character level, I took more positives from the characters than obviously what you guys did. And and then you know maybe it's again something that didn't stand out on 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 a first viewing, but on a second viewing when. Uh, Natasha and Melina are having a chat. Melina says, "I've contacted the red room." And then in the time it takes from, you know, the viewer's perspective, the Red Room to arrive and, uh, you know, shine their spotlights in them and whatever. Let's just have a look at all the stuff that happens in between then. In a very short time, Melina is expected to tell Natasha everything that's happened, show her that kind of face swap and technology, and then tell her where the Red Room is and how she's going to get there. Because we think it's Melina flying that helicopter to the Red Room. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's Natasha. And on yeah. first viewing, because I'm trying to take everything in, I, I kind of took it at face value. On a second viewing, I'm like, hang on, none of this makes any sense at all. Goes back to the lazy writing. You could say, yeah, as a viewer, we're not being, sh- you know, we're, we're being shown a compression of time. The, the face swapping thing she's already used before. Yeah, that's great. I like that. Like I've said to you guys previously on the chat we've had, I like that. It's a, it's a, it's a nice little callback, isn't it, to um, uh, yeah. Captain America: The Winter Soldier? Neil, if after watching Terminator Two thirty-five times, you are now coming up with a question of how the T eight hundred got that box of roses, that's after the thirty-fifth time you've seen the film, yeah? I always use that as an example of, for me, T two is a pretty much perfect film. Yeah, and I I always use that example. That's not because I'm nitpicking. I always use that example to say. Sometimes in movies, you just got to let it go. Yeah, but that's not far-fetched, is it? Whereas the stuff that we're talking about here and on my second exactly. viewing, exactly. the stuff that exactly. is on a second viewing, and i got to be honest with you guys, the first time I saw this film, it wasn't in ideal circumstances. There were children present, is all I'll say. <laughs> second viewing, I'm watching on my own, and I'm already finding, as you know, guys, my first viewing experience wasn't very positive about this. On the second one... Well, I'll save it for when I sum up my uh, final verdict on the film. But then the third act of the film turns into basically a little bit of a rip-off of Hayao Miyazaki's Castle in the Sky. So the Red Room is actually a floating airborne fortress. What what was that about? Because we had, we had kind of like flashbacks to like uh, the Red Room in other movies. It was, yeah, it was... Um... What's her name from um, the bloody uh, Before Trilogy? I... Julie Delphi. Julie or... Delphi. 
Yes, yeah. right. Yeah, she played the kind of... Um, this sort of, like, wicked sort of... Matron. I was going to say Taskmaster, but that yeah. was the worst. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she was like <laughs> the sort of evil headmistress who ran this academy and Natasha was in there. And and it clearly wasn't based in this airborne people, fortress, was it? People were trying to yeah. kill her and she had to become... And she became the Black Widow. Now it just appears that the Black Widows all just live in a castle in the sky. And they're controlled by a, an evil man who can't do a Russian accent. From his iPad? From his iPad. <laughs> hey, listen, right? I, I love Roy Winston. I think he's a fantastic actor. I'm not going to knock him in anything. He was wrong. Um, hang on, whoa, 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 whoa. Not going to knock him in anything? Crystal Skull, and we'll say no more than that. Right. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I don't know what I don't know what film you're referring to there, Richard. Well, it's a little oh, Neil, It's it's a little independent um, sort of it's, action it's adventure a, film from 2008 that no one's going to talk about ever again. Yeah, good call, Rich. Good call. I love Warren Winston. I think he's a great actor. But if you give anyone a shit script and a shit character, there's only so much they can do. Yeah, I've done this this skull of crystal that you talk of. I'm not aware of what that is. <laughs> so. I, I couldn't possibly pass comment on that. But I think Ray Wilson is a great actor. I think, you know, he's, well, his body of work more than speaks for itself. He wasn't right for this film. No, he wasn't. Yeah, don't give him a Russian accent. Ray, we'd love you to be part of the MCU. Oh, uh, yeah, I'd fucking love to do that. Yeah, that'd be fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> Ray, all we want you to do is, uh, Ray, we want you to do a Russian accent. Can you do that? Yeah, I can, yeah, yeah. Well, go on then, Ray. I'm fucking doing it, I. No, Ray, can you do a Russian accent? Yeah, I fucking can. I'll fucking do a Russian accent, can I? Yeah, I'll put like ski on the end of it, right? Yeah. So <laughs> fucking do the match that's your knife ski. Were you in Crystal Skull? I don't know what fucking talking about. I'm just leaving it there. <laughs> the thing wow, is brilliant. But, but that worked for me, right? My overall opinion of Ray Winston in this was that he benefited and it benefited from him barely being in it. Because yeah. the longer that he was in it, the more exposed he would be as being wrong yeah. for that role. They've they have wasted an opportunity to have Ray Winston play a, a tidy character yes. that he is that he I can agree. play later on down the line. They've, they've unfortunately, they've spent Winston now. And guys, hands up, right? Were any of us surprised when the big reveal as to who Taskmaster was came? Well, this is not, this has not been confirmed that he was going to be Taskmaster. But you know, Richard Curtis, nice guy, arms dealer. He was initially taken on to play the villain in this film. Ah. So the double cross was going to be the Mister Richard Curtis, nice guy. He was going to end the film standing at the doorway dropping cards saying you thought it was his daughter but actually it was me <laughs> on, Chris, on Christmas Eve he would knock on yeah. the door and he would have been like I just have to tell you I'm Taskmaster and Ray Winston would walk behind him and just gone fucking right he is <laughs> and that would have been it <laughs> and then would we have had a flashback with him sort of when he first met Natasha on a Monday and then he gave her a gun on a Tuesday and then he gave her <laughs> <laughs> see where I'm going I would have thought they were chilled by Sunday, though, mate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and all our uh, international li- listeners have no idea what we're talking no about. They have no idea what we're talking about. Only Craig David was big. Only in a, I think we did. Did he bring America? I think he tried. I think he tried. Yeah. <laughs> Look, let, let, let's, let's wrap up, uh, you know, very quickly what happens in the end. You know, we work out who Taskmaster is, and, and she she's obviously, it, it's Dracoff's daughter who didn't die. There's no explanation given as to how Dracoff didn't die in the first place. And then, you know, the, 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 this, this airborne fortress falls to the earth. Whoa, 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 whoa. We have missed one vital component of this airborne fortress thing, mate. Oh, yeah, go on. The pheromones? 
The f- yeah. oh the f- oh yeah the pheromones. This has got to be the worst thing I have ever seen in a superhero film, and I've I, seen I, Batman and Robin. Yeah. Well, I was thinking, I genuinely thought this has come out of Superman Four: Quest for Peace. What in so, God's name? Just indulge me for a second. There are pheromone that he's implanted a chip in her brain in her sinuses, which will stop her from killing him. Yeah. yeah. Am I right so far? Pretty much. The reason she can't do that is because his pheromones, when she smells them, she becomes frozen, mm-hmm. so she can't shoot them, she can't stand them. <laughs> yeah. this, is, this is shown back to us in a flashback. In the bit you were talking about with Melina, mm-hmm. where they swap faces, I'll yeah. have this impossible. Did yeah. you notice what was on the wall behind them when they were swapping faces? I did, and I can't remember what it was. They were gas masks, Rich. Oh, right, okay, yeah. So you're going up against someone you can't kill because if you smell them, <laughs> do you get my go idea? Neil, she she lived on a pretty basic looking farm. Surely, right? They had a packet of clothes pegs. <laughs> I'm gonna say, surely they had some toilet roll. Yeah, right? you put that up your nose, you can't smell. The other side I'm thinking is Natasha's been defected for at least ten years. Oh, yeah, yeah, well, since, oh, God knows, it, it, it was pre-2008, wasn't it? This, so a this, long time. This was been implemented probably 10 years before last, we're talking 20 years. Could be, yeah. So in all this time, right fucking Winston. <laughs> Russian, <laughs> R- Russian Ray Winston. Yeah, Russian fucking Ray Winston has never once changed his aftershave. <laughs> <laughs> he smells as sweet today as he did <laughs> Are you trying to have the drink off is still using the same mouthwash? And I know we've talked about nitpicking, and I completely agree that anyone who wants to tell me I'm nitpicking with it, this was the stupidest storyline I have ever heard. Weakest plot points, yeah. I'm going to give point. a higher score for this film than you guys. This isn't nitpicking. This is nonsense. This right. is absolute nonsense. No, the solution to this was not, I'll just go over the other side of the room where I can't smell you and yeah. shoot you between the eyes. It was... I'm going to repeatedly smash my head on the desk yeah. until my nose is broken. <laughs> that is said. You're speaking to someone who's had his nose broke a few few times. It don't work like that. No. <laughs> she smashes her head on the desk a few times. I'm sorry. And then she can't smell him anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so then she can kill him. <laughs> Why did she just hold the nose and go, I'm very, very instant. You're going to get shot, no? And that would have been done. Oh, <laughs> my was, God. Look, this film is a whole rip-off of The Winter Soldier anyway. It's got this... Well, I'm not going to say it's a whole rip-off, but it's got the same basis. If you just went, go on in. I mean, in Russian. Go on in, fucking stab me. All right? And then if she went to stab me, you went, like, uh, Freight Train, Dimitri, Red. Yes. And Correct. some code. I'd have gone... Wow, this is what they did to the Winter Soldier. This is what they did to Bucky. And yeah. I was just upset. I was literally just accepted that he could have said one word. He could have just yeah. gone like, Adva, and that would have stopped yeah. her. And like, Crystal Skull. Yeah, yeah Crystal Skull. So then after this dog turd of a plot point, then the Red Room gets blown up, it disintegrates, and then it falls to the earth. People are, you know, making their escape in these, like, sort of helicarrier things, whatever they are. You know, you'll have to excuse me if I'm skipping important details, because, like I say, my second viewing of this film only went so far, and it didn't sort of cover the last act of the film. I'm just going on my recollection of the first viewing of the film. And then I don't even really want to say too much about Taskmaster and Natasha falling to earth amongst all of this debris I, I just gave up by this point. I was just like, this is nonsense. It's fun 
But as ridiculous as the film is, the Aquaman is, there's a bit where they both jump out of the plane and sort of crash land in the desert. Yeah, I'd said they can swim in the water, but that doesn't mean they can fly and, you know, survive 3,000 falls. Yeah. As ridiculous as a film as Aquaman is, that's the one bit where I go, well, I'm not yeah. taking that bit seriously. Yeah. But then Aquaman is a film that doesn't take itself seriously and fully embraces this its absurdity. And you're right. You're 100% right in what you're saying. But Black Widow and Taskmaster, neither of these have a super serum, neither of these have any special no. powers. I mean, the endearing thing about Black Widow is it's much like the Hawkeye thing. At least Hawkeye, you know, but what do you think about it? At least Hawkeye's got like some sort of strange perception where he can shoot bows and arrows or whatever. Yeah. But if you look at all the Avengers, they've all got like a sort of leg up, haven't they? They've yeah. all got like, you know, they're a god, they've got an Iron Man suit, they've got a super soldier suit, and whatever, you know, they've got gamma rings, yeah. whatever. She's just really fucking good. Yes, at everything. She's exceptional. She is just trained and sort of self trained and bettered herself. You know, she's the well, one. She, she's peak, peak human ability, isn't she? Brilliant. That doesn't mean she can survive a fall. And like, oh, I'm ten seconds away from the ground. Oh, I'll just pull a bit of debris, and that'll slow me down, and I can land. Earlier on in the film, she falls from a window high up, and she smashes into a massive iron girder. And yeah. it's a case of, well, you might be, you might be a fantastic spy. You might be an awesome fighter. You might, have, you back, might bro. be at the peak you're of human, but your, but your ribs are still going to smash yeah. into your ah, legs. Ah, but rich, you, rich. When she landed, she did grab her ribs and like go, ooh, like that. Oh, okay. <laughs> then all is forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> I thought she's gonna float. She's gonna float down with Florence Pugh's character. You know, she's put the parachute on her. She's gonna yeah, hold onto yes. her legs or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like I always use the analogy: you jump off the top of Nakatomi Tower with a fire a hose wrapped around your waist, right? It's gonna it's snap you. In it's half. either gonna snap or it's gonna snap you in half. But I can yeah. kind of accept the rules of film. Because by that point in the film, you're along for the ride, yeah? Okay. Yes. So yeah. she she hangs on to uh, uh, Florence Pugh's legs. You know, she drops like 10 foot to the floor and goes, ooh, and rubs her back or rubs her leg or whatever. You know, ooh, that hurt a bit. And then she gets up and she's all right. And I go, yeah, that's all right then. Where was this sky fortress? Because it was like, it was obviously like 30,000 feet in the air because you couldn't see oh, it. Oh, yeah. You couldn't see it from land, you know, from land, could you? Oh, God, it was well above the clouds. Yeah. It was up in the clouds, wasn't it? Right, so she's falling all this ways, and then she just, like, sort of like sort of skags a knife and a bit of debris, and, and then she rolls, you know, does a little forward draw. She's all right, though. Like, you're taking away from the character, because, like I said, the whole essence of Black Widow is she's there with these gods. Yeah. In the same way Hawkeye is, I'll give Hawkeye the same, the same kudos. You know, when you look at that, iconic scene in Avengers where the, the camera sort of spins round you've got these sort of titans of the universe and these two normal people really yeah 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 and that's what makes those characters so endearing so then basically where she she um exploded the helicopter that, that Ray Winston was oh, in yeah, of course, was, yeah. yeah so we saw that kind of the, we, we saw his body getting engulfed in flames so we know he's dead oh the Black Widow just helped her isn't they? and then they're on the floor then she gets up dusts herself off well is and... her in Taskmaster then who then we get the reveal is old Olga Kurilenko, the sort of Bond girl. Yeah, in, in, um, Quad- in Quantum of Solace, Solace. Yeah, five foot two, five foot three. She's she's five foot nine. She's not Taskmaster. We always go on about like Don Cheadle's head floating on War Machine. This was much the same effect. None of this makes sense. No. But they have a little scuffle, and then Black Widow throws some of that red dust in her face, and then she realizes that she was being taken over by uh, Russian and Winston. Yeah. The only line she says, oh, is he gone? Oh, that's all right then. And everyone else goes, you know, they they, they go off. Well, what happened to Taskmaster after that? Like, you know, she's exactly. just like, goes off with the widows and that's yeah. the end of it. And then we're left with, with Natasha kind of on her own 
Craig David turns up with a, a, a Quinjet. No, well, that, no, um, Ross turns up first. Ross, Ross turns up first, first, yeah. And then somehow she's no, somehow she's yeah. got blonde hair and she's not, well, she's arrests, not with General Ross. Yeah, he arrests her and then to, he cuts her two weeks later. She's got blonde hair now, which I will be honest. Oh, I two weeks later, she's on bail. It was referenced, the blonde hair thing, because she almost dyed her hair blonde yes. when she was in that caliber right. at the beginning. Yeah. But yeah. J- just to tie it, and a, you know, nice little tie-in. She's got the, she's got the vest on from her sister. And she's well, got I did the wonder where that came from. <laughs> she's, she's got, but she's got the vest that she wore in Infinity War, and she's got the same hairstyle she had in Infinity War. And then she goes to meet uh, Craig David slash Richard Curtis trade arms uh, dealer, and he says to her, i got a bit of a surprise for you. And she says, oh, what's that? And he goes, look around. And she looks around. And there's a big, massive Quinjet in the middle of the field. Because you know when she drove up there to meet him by this big... She never saw it. She never saw it. Until he he said to her, look behind you. She was like, oh, fuck me. There's a huge huge field jet there. And then I'm going to go and reunite my family. I mean, what? Like like Fast and Furious. And she goes, yeah. As she she walks to the Quinjet, the little landing thing comes down, little ramp comes down. And I couldn't believe it, boys. Do you know what happened? What happened, Neil? Remind us. Remind us who, who, who came out of the Quinjet. Well, it was all like steam and smoke and stuff coming out, and I thought yeah. she's just she's just gonna get in this Quinjet now. And, Bear uh, in mind, Neil, right? This is this is post Civil War, but it's pre Infinity War. Go on, what, go on, remind us of this amazing ending. Well, do you know I thought was got? Do you know I thought was got? I thought she's just going to get in this jet now and fly off. And yeah, then, yeah, yeah. As much as I've been let down by this film, and as it being like a, a pointless prequel, guess who walked on the ramp, boys? It was only Captain America. Oh, it was Captain America, wasn't it? And, and it was perfectly. And it was perfectly tying this film then into Infinity War. And he went, he went, he went. Natasha, come on, we got work to do. The plane took off and just flew off into the sunset. And I'll be, I'll be honest with you, boys. I'm not an emotional person, but I sat there and I, I honestly felt a tear rolling down my cheek. And I, I thought know. that's that's beautiful because we will never see Captain America or Black Widow ever again after this film. And it was like a beautiful swan song for the two characters or two of the three characters we lost in Endgame, wasn't it? Uh, Rich, Rich texted me. He said, because we were watching at the same time, he said, are you really disappointed that uh, Tony Stark didn't turn up in a cameo? And I, I said, Rich, I'm not being bad, mate. That end cameo with Steve Rogers. It more than made up for it. It more than made up for it. We, we didn't I, need Tony Stark turning up, did we? I, that's why I thought, do you know what? That would have just been showy. But this, this really tugs on my heartstrings, boys. And I thought, I'm not an emotional man, but I went outside and I literally just looked at the stars and I just thought of our life and... <laughs> So Neil, this 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 perfect ending, this perfect perfect ending to an otherwise really not great film, it made up for everything for you, didn't it? Yeah, and I when I say Captain America was there, I don't mean because he came to save her or you know she she needs she needed help from a man or another no. Avenger. I just thought what a perfect tie-in for these two characters to sacrifice yeah. to leave everything. Yeah, it was beautiful, wasn't it, boys? It was, it was. Yeah, it was. But, that ne- but that never happened, did it? It never happened, did it? No, it didn't happen, did it? <laughs> In which case, guys, because it didn't happen. Let's give this no more talk other than to give our final thoughts. Oh, hang on, hang on. We, we've got the post-credit scene. Was there a post-credit? Oh, yeah, there was a post-credit scene. Yeah, go on. Oh, there was post-credits. There was post-credit. That's right. I'd forgotten. Clearly now this is post-2023 when yeah. Natasha's now dead and Yelena goes to her grave. It was quite touching. And then uh, whatever her name is, Valentina Allegra de Fontaine. Yeah. Contessa, whatever. Madam from... Hydra. Madam Hydra. Madam Hydra turns up and convinces Yelena that her next target has to be the guy responsible for her sister's death, Hawkeye. Was he responsible for her sister's death? And I'm pretty sure no. the, the film that came directly after Endgame. What happened there then? Because I'm pretty sure it was Spider-Man Far From Home. 
And I'm pretty sure even high school students were making video montages about how she'd sacrificed herself to save us all from the blip. Hmm. But obviously her sister didn't, you know, didn't go to that high school, doesn't watch the news, doesn't read the papers, has no in- access to the internet. So basically, Neil, this is more but, stuff that contradicts what we've seen before. Be, this is being a bit nitpicky now. because no, this it's is, not. This is not. This is not being nitpicky. This is not being nitpicky. They're, they're building Contessa up to be shepherd in a, a team, aren't they? And she's gonna and she's yes. gonna be manipulating people. And we we don't yet know. We are gonna find out, but we don't yet know what she's told Black Widow's sister. No, we I don't can, know what what can, all that sort of stuff. So it's gonna pan out. I that, completely agree. That she's completely she's agree showed her. Yeah. So that's what it's going at the moment. It's just a little side. It's a little teaser. It's a little bit thing. But the point is that it is going to feed into. Here, creating this team because they're going to bring down bring down the Avengers. That's, that's what her thing is going to be. And she's putting together her own team and manipulating those. We've seen it with the US agent whose name escapes me right John now. Walker. And she, John Walker. And and she would have been doing the same to... Rich, I completely agree with, with you on that. If this film had taken place five or six years before Endgame, everyone accepts the Avengers are fucking nails now, right? The whole world. You can do whatever you want now. You can't convince anyone the Avengers did anything wrong. The whole thing with Black Widow was she sacrificed herself. Yeah. Right? The whole world knew what she did. Her sister didn't. No, I think it probably did. But, I, Mad- but we don't... But we... Mad- this, we're, Mad- we're supposed to be... This 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 woman now, this this Madden Hybrid, Con- as we call her, because he's called her that. She's, she is going to be... This this manipulating, very powerful, convincing, all the rest of it. So whilst it's ridiculous for us on what we know to think that she's going to have the power to to you know she's going to manipulate General Ross. She's got all these all these different characters that are strong characters that should really you know they've got their own minds. That's what she's going to do. So we don't yet know how and what she says and all the rest of it. But that's that's the way you know maybe it's done a bit ham-fistedly at the moment. But that's the way that I I think that they're going with it and it will i think that it's one of those things that will make more sense it's just that now where is that where is we've had subtle hints previously now it's kind of like it might as well be her going would you like to join the anti-avengers you know it's kind of like it's yeah it's, it's a bit more ham-fisted at the moment which, which ending was better rich that one or neil's captain america ending <laughs> obviously obviously neil's there captain you go. america ending <laughs> this film was self-contained it was supposed to be a self-contained story this film should have been budapest and it should have been hawkeye and black widow their initial meeting yeah and that should have been it yeah it's a prequel right yeah they made a film that didn't need to be made in a time that and i'm not talking about postponements even at the time it was supposed to come out at a time it didn't need to come out it was already two or three four five years too late just to score a point and say we did a black widow movie if you want to introduce a new black widow which obviously they're trying to push florence pure as a new black widow that's great. Bring her in one of the MCU, uh, D- the Disney yeah, yeah. Plus series. She's really good. She really impressed me. She's great. Yeah. Her being suddenly just tied into, well, you should go and kill Hawkeye now. Come mm. on. This woman is a secret agent. She's a top secret assassin. She's someone who went rogue from this organization. What? Some woman's going to manipulate her into, oh, Hawkeye killed your sister. What? She haven't got Google? Bollocks. Absolute she- bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> right. This bit at the end, I was literally like, well, that didn't need to be in there. Right? Yeah, this no, bit, I, 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 I this agree bit to me, but They might as well have all just like turned to the screen and winked and gone, wait for the Hawkeye series. It was just yeah. like so tacked on. And I know 
that this was supposed to come out before Falcon and Winter Soldier, and it probably would have had more impact when Contessa, whatever her bloody name is, turned up. Is she manipulating John Walker? Is she not? Is he going to see through her? Whatever. It probably would have had more impact if it had gone that way. But for, for me, either way really works. But when she turned up at the end of Falcon and Winter Soldier and she saw, like, well, you're disgraced, you're discharged, you're, you know, you wanted to be Captain America. And let's be honest, at the end of Captain America, he actually proved himself worthy of being Captain America. The decision he made, when he's literally like, well, I can either go after them or I can save all these civilians. And he saves us as civilians. That's the essence of Captain America for me. So when she turns up at the end of that and sort of says, well, I can give you you a way to kind of be Captain America if you really want to be. I can understand that. It's something that relies, it very much relies upon some back explanation when we get to the next story. That's what it's going to rely right. on, isn't it? But you're doing what I was doing with the Loki series. You're going, oh, this will pay off down the line. Things do pay off down the line. And we are, we are more than guilty of this. We are literally like the kings of guiltiness. We are going, oh, one a great when this paid off. But the difference was we were entertained at the time. That's yeah, right. Yeah. We were distracted by yeah. good entertainment. And then the, yes. the Easter eggs was things we picked up on later, not at the time. We yes. always, we always, I say we've all done it. We all, and like Jim does it as well, and right. Steve, Steve Wood and whatever. But, you know, we all sort of sit there and go, oh, wasn't that great when I was a callback to this, and wasn't that great when I was a callback to that? And I never even noticed that at the time, but now it's really relevant. You never noticed it at the time because you were enjoying the film. You're right. You're yeah. Right. right. Final thoughts and scores on Black Widow. Right. <laughs> it would be the shit sandwich, right? So nearly the first, I go second, Sky, you go last. And isn't, and Rich, isn't the shit supposed to go in the middle? <laughs> An inverted shit sandwich. <laughs> Go on then. Right, but bizarrely, I thought this film, for all the sort of setbacks and all the sort of, you know, just postponements and all the rumour mill and stuff that, was going to be a complete train wreck. It wasn't a complete train wreck. I actually quite enjoyed watching this film. But, and this is a very big but, what I'm enjoying this film, I'm enjoying this film in the same way that I enjoyed, let's say, another Scarlett Johansson movie, which is a little bit silly, Lucy, right? When I've gone, kind of enjoyed that. It was a bit of a wild ride. You know, the effects were good and the, the action was great and she's she's really good in it and the supporting passes, cast was really good. And that's fine. If I'm going to score this as where this sits in the MCU, it's very much a lower tier film. However, as a film on its own, it's a watchable movie. It's an okay film. And it's going to get an okay score for me and that's going to be 6 out of 10. Right. I'll be the shit. <laughs> I'll <laughs> be the shit amongst those two bland and flavourless pieces of bread that are going to be either side of it. I love the character Black Widow. I love Scarlett Johansson. She's an amazing actress. And I love her story where it went from the beginning when we first saw it in Iron Man 2 up to the ultimate conclusion in Avengers Endgame. And because of that, this story that we've been given is just completely unnecessary. It takes us nowhere. Like Neil said, if we'd just been told just that one little condensed story about how Natasha met Hawkeye and she was her sort of way out of her life and her way into S.H.I.E.L.D. and we'd had that little adventure, it would have been something. I didn't need any of the extraneous family stuff. As I've said countless times before, a second viewing of a film is so valuable because when I first watched this film, I was just really underwhelmed. And a second viewing can take you either way. It can enhance your experience by you picking up things that you may not have noticed the first time around, things which have sort of enhanced your overall experience and thought, actually, do you know what? It actually makes sense now. Didn't go that way for me. Second viewing, I've got to be honest with you guys, as I've said to you, I ended up on my iPad looking at watches on Facebook groups. 
I was genuinely really disinterested. And you, it don't, did make you, notes. you don't even like watches. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> it just, second time round, it was much more of a chore to the point where I didn't even manage to finish, finish the film. I thought many of the performances in it were just lacklustre. I thought Florence Pugh was great. Scarlett Johansson was good. It's not the best she's been. She seemed kind of at times like she was almost sleepwalking through it. It's definitely lower tier MCU for me. It didn't annoy me and grate on me in the way that Captain Marvel did. For that and for that reason alone, I'm going to give it a straight down the middle, 5 out of 10. My score might not reflect. It's very. I, I, I'm finding the score in a bit quite difficult because... I, I agree with an awful lot of what you said. As experienced as that film, where I talked about Loki expecting it and wanting it to be something which had no impact on the uh, on the MCU at large, it's you know it's this prequel as a romp that that has no real tie to the existed to what's to come. Um, I enjoyed it. I I did enjoy it. I found Florence Pugh great. I thought she was the standout for it for me. I felt it was more about torch passing to her as much as anything else. Um, but I enjoyed yeah. her interplay with Black Widow. I enjoyed it with uh, Natasha. I enjoyed the family dynamics. I enjoyed the 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 characters. I thought that you know David Harbour. I, I I liked I liked his character and how he played it. And I and I did enjoy it. It's, it's a strange thing with 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 the franchise that's so beloved and that we will we will talk for hours and hours and hours dissecting every little element to it. Overall, it, it's fine. It was good. It was okay. It's not brilliant. It's not great. I think I said at the time it's mid tier MCU. It's certainly not. You know, sitting right up there when you, you know, when you're talking about the, the top films. However, and probably you probably shouldn't mark films like this, but on the on the flip side of it, there is very little about the film that I actively dislike. You know, there's you know, we took you compare it to Captain Marvel. This film, for me, this film should have come out in in Captain Marvel's uh, where, when Captain Marvel was released. It would have had more impact then. A Black Widow, she'd certainly there'd certainly been enough call for it. And for whatever reason, I don't know what that reason is, it was going on for years and it just never got greenlit and it never happened or it didn't happen for a very long time. We, we were well overdue a Black Widow film. And it was kind of like the success of Wonder Woman, I think then catapulted yeah, this idea. So they ended up having to do it then. Kind of, it felt as if they were sort of forced into it. As I enjoy the character stuff, there's some absurd elements. Pretty much, I, I, I pretty much enjoyed the entire film up to The Fortress in the Sky and then that absolute nonsense with the with the pheromones and all the rest of it. So it lost me at the end. However, I'd watched this again before I'd watched Captain Marvel. So I'm perhaps being a bit more generous with it. I was sitting on a six. I feel like it's a higher six. For enjoyment factor, I did enjoy it as a little spin-off, like I enjoyed Hobbs and Shaw. I, I, you know, as you know, I've recently watched all the Fast and Furious films and Hobbs and Shaw. It's not directly related. It's a bit of a spin-off. This for me was this kind of cousin to the, to the main franchise and it was inoffensive. It was funny, and it's a comf- it's a very very comfortable six. It's not quite a seven. There's a massive gap between a six and a seven, as you know. And um, <laughs> I, uh, where is Loki again? My my grade for Loki was a five. For me, Loki is a Black Widow is, is worlds apart from Loki, and I think maybe I enjoyed perhaps I enjoyed Black Widow all the more because I, I was feeling quite bitter about Loki at the same time. I I don't know. And enjoyment factor, I could. Well, halfway through, because I watched this film before you two, and I stopped for a little whatever break it was, and I actually messaged both of you saying, I'm enjoying Black Widow so far. Yeah, you did, yeah. That was the point where I, I was enjoying this film, and I was thinking, well, this is like possibly a, an eight, you know, a, a ten film, probably about a third into the film when I did that. And mm-hmm. I was like, up until that point, I was thinking, I thought this film was going to be a disaster. I'd already heard the buzz that it wasn't very good. Yes. And stuff like that. And I was like, well, I don't know what everyone's watching, because... 
you know, this is this seems to be really, you know, this is one one of a Black Widow film. A lot of times with films, the third act is what makes or breaks a film. This film is probably not the third act. It's about midway. It's about fifty percent through this film. I started going, ah, yeah, you're losing the track now. Mm-hmm. And they did it just from about fifty percent into this film. It just dropped off. I, th- yeah, I think I, I built up quite a bit of goodwill through that. I think I put. I think I because I enjoyed it a lot more than I expected. My goodwill level was quite high, and I kind of. Like, you know, I, I let the end of it go. Then it was like, all right, that's a bit shit. But I've enjoyed it up until now, and it's not. I'm not. I'm not disliking the end of it enough to stop me having enjoyed what I've seen already. So it's good. I enjoyed it. It's not a great film. It's. A, it's. A, it's. A, you know, it's an okay good film. It's fine. I, it's bizarre that if we go over a couple of episodes back, what I went, you can't really fault the MCU. Even the bad films are seven out of tens. Bad mm. Captain Marvel. I've almost feel like i'm doing this film a disservice by saying six out of ten but i have to compare it to what it what precedes it yeah i have to compare it to the character that i'm familiar with yeah of course yeah. you do of course and you this do. Fi- this film doesn't fit into that it, and, and look before and before anyone questions why i've given this the same score as loki what richie said at the end of his summing up of loki there's a second season coming. There's a future for that character. There's a possibility. The possibility. Yeah, there's hope yeah. that they can take things forward and sort of sort out the stuff that they've established. With this character, there's not. And if anything, all of this film serves to do is set up Yelena as a character going forward. But this film isn't called Yelena Belova. It's called Black Widow. It's all about Natasha Romanoff. As much as we had a little joke of a cat coming down the ramp, and that would have been great, that's the type of send-off... Yes, this character needed a resonant moment where you went, do you know what? I'm really going to miss Black Widow. Yeah, that's and right. That that was never given to her. No, it wasn't. It was. So there you go. There you go. That's a film 89... Well, what's the scores? It's a 6, a 5, and a 6. So overall, that's a film 89 verdict for Black Widow of 6 out of 10. Oh, guys, I, I'm, I'm just in the mood for something positive after all of that. Yeah. I Look, I can promise our listeners that... The next couple of episodes are going to be overwhelming praise, and they're going to be very positive episodes. Oh, we, can, we can we 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 can do that because we can talk about films we love. We exactly, and I think we're going to be doing that. And when yeah. it when it comes to the MCU, we have been talking for the vast majority of the time about films we love, and it's easy for us. We can talk about Die Hard, or we can talk about regardless Jaws or whatever these instant classics that you know. In this case. We're talking about a, a recent movie, a, a new release that we all wanted to like. And this is going back to the Star Wars thing, which I say, when, whenever someone wants to say that we're biased or whatever, that's fine. You can have that opinion if you want. Whenever I slag off the, the Star Wars films, I always counteract with, I wanted to love this film. Mm. And with the Black Widow movie and with the Loki TV series, I wanted to love both of these. I'm in total awe of what the MCU has done. And now it seems to be going away. I don't like the way it's going. Yeah, same year, same year. We'll see. Maybe things will turn their way around and, you know, maybe this is just a blip. Where can people hit you up if they want to uh, have a go with you about the uh, opinions you put forward tonight? You can shout at me at Neil underscore Gaskin on Twitter, or you can get me through film89.co.uk. 
Yep, via the website and also Richard under, at Richard underscore Roberts on the Twitter. And you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at Sky Movies. And you can find us all at Film89UK on Twitter and Facebook. And if you want to email us the old-fashioned way, you can hit us up at admin at film89.co.uk. The old-fashioned way. The old-fashioned way, yeah. The old-fashioned way used to be uh, pen and paper, didn't it? Uh, exactly. It did. Uh, paper and a quill. Dying <laughs> you could send the raven to... <laughs> <laughs> Film 89 Towers to Neil Gaskin in the dungeon. <laughs> so there you go, guys. That's another episode. Uh, apologies for the, uh, the the length of time between uh, episode 67 and 68. We hope to uh, be resuming more of a normal schedule, but we've all been extremely busy of late. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed the episode. I know it's been um, a little bit more negative than usual, but like I say, we're always going to be honest and fair, even when we're talking about franchises that we usually love. So please, if you could give us uh, give us a like, give us a subscribe, uh, so you don't miss any future episodes. And also, like we always say, please give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts. That would go a great deal to uh, putting a smile on our chubby little faces. And uh, I think that's it, guys. Uh, we'll see you all soon. Uh, stay safe. And uh, more importantly, stay classy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> boom. Love it. <laughs> We're out of here. <laughs>